is how goes it. Got a little prologue to go with this particular episode, so bear with me. Um, so it, it entails a little story. When I first got into podcasting last summer, I knew that SLC Punk would eventually be on the table for an episode. I mean, why wouldn't it be? This is a no-brainer. It was a film that defined my young adulthood and really made an impact on the guy I am today. So I found it only fitting to book my kid brother for the episode since in all reality, he was there with me through it all, right by my side, the two of us growing up together. And that makes this a special one for us. It really does. Sean will be back next week for Point Break. But in the meantime, this one's just my brother and I reminiscing about a film that truly meant something to us over the last couple decades. Does it hold up? We shall see. But in the meantime, I just want to say that this episode is further dedicated to Andy Allen and Ben Metzger. It's dedicated to Corey Klima, Mike Daiquiri, Dan Keener. It's dedicated to Jason Paul, rest in peace, brother, Brian Burleson, The Bouncing Souls, and Scott Pasquale. But most of all, more importantly, guys, this episode is dedicated to punk rock in general, to every DIY band out there who had a hand in trying to either make it or break it. This one's for all of you. And with that said, I just... Welcome to the Film Effect Podcast, where we take all things film to the full effect. My name's Ed. Joining me this week is my kid brother, Andrew. Hey, you guys. What's up? How and, you doing? And if you're a fellow cinephile like us or just a casual fan of movies, then you've come to the right place. We're a weekly podcast to do deep dives and touch lives. But before we get into the nitty gritty, I want to let you guys know that our ever-going collection of previous episodes can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, and wherever else you enjoy your favorite shows. Check out our brand new website at podpage.com slash the-film-effect-podcast. There you can access everything Film Effect related in one place, including all episodes along with our merch and other neat things. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram without accessing the site on the Film Effect Podcast as the handle. Our Twitter handle is at Film Effect Pod. And if you're still adapting to the times, our email address is the Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. Let's do some shout outs. Shout out to his family. Shout out to Film Floggers and congratulations, guys, on episode 50, which uh, was released this morning. Talking about Predator, a film that we'll eventually cover down the road here. But in the meantime, from Sean and I at the Film Effect, just congratulations. Uh, we're reaching 50 ourselves. I believe this is episode 31. So uh, we'll be getting there eventually. We're, round of applause for the both of you. Yes, yes, hey. yes. Alright, shout out the best film ever for all the love. Check out their Independence Day episode that they just put out this week for the holiday. Shout out to your next favorite film, who has David Howard Thornton on the show this week, talking about who framed Roger Rabbit. I'm actually going to be on that podcast uh, down the road. don't know exactly when, but I got the offer last week, 
and we're going to be talking about Return of the Living Dead, the film that we covered just the other day. So I'm looking forward to that. He heard that it was my favorite horror film, and he's like, hey, let me get you on the show. So that's what I'm going to be doing. Uh, Spy Hards, who are covering Charlie's Angels full throttle this week. Good luck, gentlemen. Oh, God. And finally, Paul and Griff, who are covering Detective Pikachu this week, a film that I actually like. Me and Mad Salt in the theater last year, or two years ago, and I, I, I kind of dug it, not going to lie. So um, I'll be listening to that episode. Uh, we're currently charting in the U.S., Hong Kong, and still in the top 100 over in Nigeria. Thank you to those listeners over there. It's current events. So, I don't know when everyone's listening to this episode, but at the time of recording, um, just yesterday, uh, we lost famous film director Richard Donner. Um, how familiar are you, Andrew, with Richard Donner? Did you hear the news? Uh, I heard the news. I like Lethal Weapon. The Goonies is definitely the special shout-out I would like to give out to his career. Um, obviously, you know, Superman's great. But I grew up on the Goonies, loving the Goonies. Same, um, same, same. In fact, I posted what, on Twitter yesterday that I think uh, impromptu Goonies episode is in line for the show. So stay tuned for that, guys. But go on. Yeah, Goonies, Goonies is a really, really good movie. Um, How about Scrooge? Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that one. Yes, that's and, a fantastic film. And the fact that he did not just Lethal Weapon, but all four Lethal Weapon films were directed by Richard Donner. Which is surprising, because once you start to get down to the nitty-gritty of like the fourth one, it's like, oh my God, he's still here. Well, it's <laughs> funny because... I'm surprised he hasn't handed off directorial efforts to somebody else. Well, it's funny because um, he was just in the news recently about doing the fifth one, and that was supposed to be like a final farewell from the original cast and director, and obviously that's not going to happen now. In fact, I had my doubts when the news, when he was alive, when the news was announced. I kind of had my doubts. I mean, Richard Donner hasn't directed a film since 2006, 16 blocks. Um, when I think Richard Donner, though, I mean, a lot of people go to Lethal Weapon, and that's fine. Um, it's up there. Um, actually, I'm going to use that as an opportunity to promote my upcoming appearance on the Backlook Cinema Plug podcast because I'm going to be covering Lethal Weapon with them soon. Uh, we're recording that next Saturday, so looking forward to that. Anyway, um, I think about Tales from the Crypt and his work on that show. Yeah, he was an, exec- an executive producer, but he also directed probably my favorite episode of the whole series and All Through the Night with Larry Drake and Mary Ellen Trainer. Mary Ellen Trainer, who's in like every Richard Donner film, but um, yeah, um, it's it's sad. I mean, I know he lived a, a long, healthy life, um, but it it just sucks when 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 people do pass away. It's it's sad, and you know, not I, to mention somebody as iconic in the world of cinema, such as Richard yeah, Donner. and that, exactly, and that goes it touches a lot. You know, a, a vast majority of people. Yeah, I look up to him as like a hero. I mean, he made some of my favorite films over the years. And I mean, some hits, others misses, but even the misses, you know, I guess I got a special place in my heart for talking to you, assassins. But um, but even like all four of the Lethal Weapon films are great. They're not the greatest. I... They definitely start to go downhill. But even four, I had fun with like four is a fun film. You can't. I think four is better than two. Oh, okay. I, I mean, do not like Lethal Weapon 2, uh, but I think it's at least my least favorite. Diplomatic communities. What's not to love about it? Yeah, I got you. I got you. 
I don't know. Uh, it's just, I had issues with it. I thought it was just a complete rehashing of the first one. But other than that, I had another episode, another talk, not topic, another conversation, another day. So yeah, uh, Richard Donner sucks. Um, rest easy, buddy. And thanks for the movies and the memories. All right, weekly recommend. What would you get for a six-year-old boy who chronically wets his bed? All right, brother. I told you to bring a movie with you. What do you got for us? Hell or High Water. It features Chris Pine, Ben Foster, and, of course, Jeff Bridges. It is directed by David McKenzie, released August 12, 2016. Very, very, very good film. Um, it's not what you're probably going to expect it to be going in, but it does have a lot to do with heists and... Uh, pretty poor and rural town of just a couple of guys that are not only trying to make it but also make a statement uh so if you've never seen that it's very good um the other film that i was thinking about but i decided hell or high water because i feel like more people have not seen it compared to the other would be true grit which i think is a fantastic remake um and that is actually an ethan and joel cohen film so you've been on a uh, western kick lately a little bit <laughs> Haven't watched 410 to Yuma recently, but that's going to have to be the next. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, Hell of High Water. That's Taylor Sheridan. Taylor Sheridan wrote, wrote the movie, actually. He actually just wrote and directed um, the new Angelina Jolie movie, uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead. That was on, well, it's in theaters, but it was also on HBO Max. That's how I watched it. And um, it's a good movie, not going to lie. Um, I was surprised by how good it was. I wasn't expecting too, too much going into it, but it's it's something that really takes you for a ride, so enjoy it. Yeah, okay. So hear me out on this one, guys. My recommend for this week is Furious 7. Now, why am I throwing out a random Fast and Furious sequel? Okay. The, the second best so, Fast and Furious Let movie. me explain. And it has nothing... Well, it, I guess it plays a small part of it, but it's not because of the whole send-off, the Paul Walker at the end. Beautiful, great, never forget it, always makes me cry. But besides that, the film itself, okay, so it's written by, it's it's not written, it's directed by James Wan. His first and only con- contribution to the series, might I add, James Wan, who came from horror. Saw, uh, Saul, uh, um, Death Sentence, uh, coming soon to the podcast. Dead Silence, to name a few, his earlier gems. But this movie, he brings so much to this film that you never see in any of the film, other film. Because I actually just recently binged them all for the ninth film. And rewatching this again, it stood out. In fact, it stood out so much that I went back and rewatched it the next day. Because I noticed so much that, like, for example, James Wan's Australian. What's a famous Australian movie? That's actually that's what's what's a famous action Australian movie? Mad Max. More specifically, The Road Warrior. This movie has henchmen wearing the same covered masks as the the the, the um what's his face from The Road Warrior. I haven't watched it in a few years. I'm I'm f- fuzzy with names at the moment. Um, I know you're talking about the but the. I don't- the way going back to the original Mad Max, the way George Miller films chase scenes, he incorporates like a sped up shot. 
Well, James Wan does that in this movie. And it's the only Fast and Furious movies that include sped up race scenes. Not so much like a race race, but there are a lot of, you know, car related shots that are sped up uh, the frame rate. And that's exactly what George Miller does in Mad Max. Um, I do believe there's also a scene before a character meets his demise. There's an extreme close up on the uh, eyes, other than not bulging like in Mad Max. Uh, but other than that, you know, I definitely saw a lot of uh, Mad Max heavy influence in the movie, which I respect the hell out of for, for even trying to do that. Um, yeah, the Paul Walker send-off was terrific. Uh, the movie itself is fun. Jason Statham is cold. He doesn't have, like... He's not throwing zany one-liners and shit, you know? He's a, he's a, he's a kind of a villain you want to get behind. He means business. In fact... The opening credits are fucking awesome. So badass. It's him leaving the hospital. Set that fucking payback song with, you know, the building and shit falling behind them and the all all the bodies from the, the security guards and, and SWAT team people that he, you know, that people are getting in his way. He was just taken down. Awesome opening scene. I just think the movie holds up. Um, yeah, flying through five cars in Abu Dhabi's a little what the f, but I had a lot of fun. Everybody's got to drive sports cars through yeah buildings I, I, in Dubai from one level to and, another. And finally, <laughs> it introduces Kurt Russell to the franchise. How fucking legendary is that? So yeah, Furious Seven. If you're sitting on it or have seen it, and it's been a while. Revisit it. Check it out. You won't be let. You won't be let down. Watch it with an open mind, guys. All right. Should we talk about the movie of the week? Oh, what? yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were recording again. Oh. <laughs> Tell me a moment. All right. Well, to be an anarchist in Salt Lake City was certainly no easy task, especially in 1985. And having no money, no job, no plans for the future, a true anarchist position was in itself a strenuous job. This is SLC Punk. Meet Steve-O and Bob. They were the only two punks living in Salt Lake City. Ooh, we come from the east. What the hell are you? We're, uh, we're from England. <laughs> England. That's probably why we seem so weird to you, man. Their only way to understand the world was to be totally misunderstood. And when you're living in the most conservative city in America, do you A, conform? This rebellion things you're going through, I, I, I understand it, not completely, but uh, I respect it. B, learn to cope. I am the future. I am the future of this great nation. Stephen, I didn't, I didn't sell out, son. I bought in. Or C. Is he going to be okay? Oh, yeah, he'll be fine, I'm sure. Thank you, though. None of the above. Aladdin, and this is my lamp. I wished for you, and here you are. Bob was in love. You're like a poet, dude. I just started thinking, you know, Salt Lake ain't that bad. I know, no, no, I mean, I know it sucks and all, but, you know, this is like, this is like home, you know? Matthew Lillard, star of Scream and She's All That. <laughs> and Michael Gorgian in a film about living life. If I knew what was ahead of me, I may have stayed in bed. Life is like that. Never have so many of Satan's followers been amassed on the earth as there are now. What? And getting out alive. 666. Six, six. The mark will be on all of them. Oh, my God! No! 
with attitude. Go, go, go! I told you those boys were trouble. What's your major gonna be? I want to save the rainforest. Somebody's got to fight for them. Salt Lake City Punk. All right, so before we get into the actual chunk of the film, the, the nitty gritty, as I call it, the, the 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 breakdown, I have a special category lined up for you and I for this episode. It's it's simple. I'm a fan of simplicity, as I always say. It's called DIY, and <laughs> I'm making it sound like a fucking game or something right now. No, I just kind of want to talk about because you and I have similar upbringings. We're brothers, but we, you know, punk rock played a big part. In our childhood. I mean, we were always in punk rock culture when we were young. And Whether it was going to punk rock shows or like looking all punked out with their hairs and whatnot. I mean, it was definitely like part of our culture, no doubt, through thick and thin. Yeah. And so many fun times. So many shows. You know, Baltimore, Maryland's got this venue called the Auto Bar. Shout out Auto Bar. I've been to numerous, countless shows at that joint. And, uh, I guess I would consider that kind of like the CBGB of Baltimore, Maryland. For sure. I mean, yeah. Uh, Definitely like a little hole-in-the-wall bar, but man, it's the place to be oh when you God, go to a God, it's such a fucking show. dive, but I love it so much. It's literally in a basement in a fucking, you know, urban neighborhood in Baltimore City. Um, it's it's just, it's a wild place. Yeah, there's no guardrail, so, you know. No security. There's like, you just crowds up on the stage. <laughs> like, it's, it's, you know, it's where we went to a lot of, you know, old school shows back in the day. I, I still continue to go there to this day. It's still open. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy that they're open. So definitely a special shout out to them because it was starting to look dark there, but we're uh, back. We're and back. you know me personally, uh, Bouncing Soul is my favorite band. I've got them inked on my arm. Uh, huge, huge, heavy influence on my life. Bouncing Souls. Uh, fuck. It's going on 22 years. I've been a fan of them now. And I haven't looked back since. Other than that, um, special acknowledgements go out to Strung Out, Pennywise. Gotta, I gotta say Blink. Because Blink definitely had an influence on my middle school years that kind of helped me grow into bands like no effects and, and ranted and, and stuff like that. <laughs> it's so funny. I was going to say no effects, even though I don't have, I haven't listened to no effects in years, but I still throw them on from time to time. I, I listened was to the public last week. Yes. Their, their old albums are punked, punked out, fantastic musical compositions that would, you would have definitely have to listen to. Yeah. And you know, you've got, of course you've got your stooges and the, uh, for me, it the was Descendants. Descendants, yes. <laughs> Dead Kennedys. Uh, so many. Pretty much back in the day, you know, you listened to it. I mean, you, you've heard of them. We've listened to them. Uh, the Arsons. I don't even know if they're still a band anymore. One Man Army. The Mad code, Cat. The Code. Mad Cat, yeah. You can just, I, mean, I, I can sit here all day and just name out all the so bands. I've been so many punk shows that bands probably haven't even existed for like 15 years i just <laughs> just randomly went because i wanted to go to a show yeah and so that being said this film of course also played a heavy hand and you know growing up uh first discovering this you know, we'll get around to it. i'll talk about that in first time viewings but once i got into this movie and shit like it was on this movie pretty much was on constant loop in my room for a handful of years you know so many times that i can recite you know, scenes and, and quote stuff that, you know, 
even though I, before prior to this recent viewing for this episode, I ain't seen the damn thing in three or four years. Uh, that doesn't seem like a lot. You know, people were probably like, that's, that's typical for me. But no, you don't understand. I watch this movie all the time. So three, four years is a lot compared to back then. Um, and it, it, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's so good. So damn good. Um, all right. So first time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically that's my second time. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to, uh... let's talk about that. So for me, it was definitely fall of 2000. Um, I got to mention Metz, Andy Metzger, um, Alan Metzger, hell, I'll throw Ben in their mix. And Mike Dackery, um, hell, Corey Klima, shout out to you too, man. Like we got into punk together, you know, even though I was a couple years older than them, we all still were like a close, you know, a, a tight, tight group, you know? Yeah. It constantly moved around as a unit for sure. Absolutely. And God, you know, they, I forgot who it was. I want to say it was Mike. I'm pretty sure it was Dackery. Who was the first person to say, hey, SLC Punk, get on that shit. And we did. We rented it, watched it, and didn't stop watching it. And got my copy not long after that. I, I, I scooped up the DVD. And like I said before, it was on. I watched this movie round clock almost. I've literally seen this movie over a hundred times. Without exaggerating that much. Um so yeah, how about you? What was your first time with this? First time was watching your copy. It was actually at my grandmother's house out in Dundalk. And I remember sitting down and watching it up in the room with my buddy Eric Klima. And I, I, I was so fascinated by the chaotic lifestyle that they lived. And of course, you know, me being young at the time, I was like, man, I just... I just want to live that for a moment and it was just off to the races from there but definitely uh I, you know i want to say it was like fall of 2001 maybe it was you know because it was released in what 99 yep so but yeah fall of 2001 sounds about right if my mind isn't misceiving me yeah i wanted to be steve-o so bad i mean i had the spiky blue hair for christ's sake for years i had that shit going on for me um so I I, just, I can relate, you know, I, I get that like inspiration, like, you know, the way they lived, that whole DIY rate lifestyle. Um, it was cool. And obviously looking back on it 20 odd years later, it's, you know, a little bit different, uh, but it doesn't take away from those memories because I still hold up in my head. So story time. Tell me a story. Like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit. But it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. And that is basically what I'm bringing to the table as far as story goes this week is pretty much what we've been talking about for the last 10 minutes, you know, ranting about that 
and how we grew up and what we listened to and what we did and then describe the outer bar and how this movie came into the fray and, and became kind of like a ringleader for that said lifestyle. And it was like, cause we wanted to be certain characters and act like certain characters. And we love this movie. It was kind of like a sickness, you know, this movie was fucking with our heads and trying to tell us all the wrong things. But, Without realizing, ironically enough, the point of the film, I suppose. Yes, and we're gonna get into that. We're gonna get into it. You know, we're gonna break it down, like we usually do on the show, with a more mature mentality. You know, because I've never really talked about this growing up in a serious manner. It's probably the first time. Um, not that I have that many SLC punk conversations going on in my life, but I'm just saying, because you know, I, I'm gonna throw out a bold prediction now. I hate that I'm even saying this, but I can probably think, or I could probably predict that this is going to be one of our lower end uh, episodes as far as numbers go. Not that I give a fuck. I really don't. <laughs> I just, you know, throwing it out there. It's, it goes and ties with the conversation. So. Yeah, not too many punk rockers or anarchists out there. <laughs> it's not really a known movie. Yeah. Unless you're at that age range. You know, it was a particular market for a particular time, and I don't think that there's been that feasible of a market since, to say the least, for a movie like that. I mean, you want to talk about it now? SLC Punk Two. I've never seen Punk's it. Dead. Uh, I've never seen it, but I heard Harold and Bob's in it. <laughs> yeah, he's he's in like three scenes, but he's in. It's his son. Oh, okay. And he's kind of like the narrator, or it's not the narrator, but he's kind of like, there's a few scenes that cut to him just talking in a white room, like directly at the camera, it's supposed to be his son. He's like in his head, like giving him advice and stuff like that in the heroin Bob way, except the fact that, um, chemicals, man, Michael Georgian has an obvious bald cap on. It's, it's kind of like so obvious that it's hard to focus on the film without noticing that obvious line right there with the hair it's yeah, it's, a, it's a mess the movie itself I remember trying to tell myself or convince myself that it was good when in reality it really wasn't and that's probably the last time I saw this film was I watched it prior to the sequel coming out which was in 2016 so about five years now so yeah that was the last time I saw it was in preparation for the sequel that I knew it wasn't going to be that great Lillard wasn't back. No Steve-O. Come on. How good can the film be? I and mean, is it still about... Everyone came anarchists? back, dude. Huh. Everyone came back except for... Uh, except for Matthew Except Lillard. for Lillard. Except for the dude that you Even the dead dude back. came back. I was going to say, he's fucking dead. <laughs> so, yeah. But that that's a movie. Um, it's on Netflix. Check it out. Or don't. That's your prerogative. Let's talk about the original SLC poem. Here we go! So, the film begins with, uh, we get that voiceover from Steve-O. A lot of voiceover in this film, guys. Uh, Steve-O, played by Matthew Lillard, who's uh, explaining his hatred for rednecks in America to the audience as we see a truck pull up on a dark road overlooking the city. Um, SLC, Salt Lake City, on screen text, tells us this is Salt Lake City, Utah, in 1985. Very conservative. Utah in 1985. Oh, yes. So these two rednecks, if you will, get out with their beers, talking about wanting to score of someone. 
one guy goes to take a piss when all of a sudden Steve-O and his best friend Heroin Bob come out from out of nowhere and beat the two with clubs before taking off as the film suddenly slows down like it's a projection acting up before cutting out altogether with Steve-O's voiceover telling us, what can I say? We were nothing but a couple of young punks. As the title card appears and the opening credits play to an old school punk imagery with uh, the exploited sex and violence being played over. And I never noticed until now, now that I'm older, but all of the all of the actors' names when they appear, they're on like iconic punk rock albums that they satirically redid over. And magazines. Yeah, oh, I, yeah, but I, I, I like a couple of bands like uh, Bad Religion, Crass. I noticed. Um, yeah, I figured you noticed Dead Crass. Kennedys. You did. So That's it, the it, obvious one. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, I noticed the Bad Religion one myself. So we're at Steve-O and Bob's place, it's like this old janky apartment. Um, looks like it's all fucking concrete walls. So it's got to be cold as shit. So we're clear, they're homeless, right? No. Yeah, they don't pay for that yeah. place. No, they just maybe live they do. There. Maybe they don't. <laughs> they just live there. Uh, Steve wakes him up. Um, yeah, Bob, Harold, and Bob sleeping with a beer in his hand. It's nice and a smile on his face. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about this place then. So I've never thought about that before. As yeah. much as I've seen this movie, I never thought. Is there a landlord? Yeah, no landlord. I don't play for that place. Look at that. They've got anarchy wow. in like upside down crosses and pictures I- of Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Fucking Nazi signs on his eyes. Kind of makes me look at this shit in a whole new perspective now that, wow, I've never, honest to God, noticed or thought it. I've never thought about it before. They're anarchists. They don't don't work. So Fuck you, landlord. They don't don't pay for this place. They just found it. That's right. They don't have jobs. They just found it and they live there now. (laughs) That really, that's an obvious one too. How the hell did I not catch that over the years? I never noticed it until I watched it today. I was like, huh. These guys are homeless. Because it all makes sense. They <laughs> I mean, have no jobs. They don't work, so yeah. it makes sense. And they're co- always got blankets around them because they're cold. But yeah. wait, no, because they have the party at their place. Yeah. They got power during the party. Well, they didn't, I'm sure they didn't think about that when they threw the party situation. Are you sure? I mean, I, I'm pretty sure there's not a landlord in that fucking, like, I'm pretty sure they don't pay anybody to live there. Yeah. They just found a couple of bedspreads and threw it down. Like, right. Here we go. All right, we'll say they're homeless then, because it makes more sense. Um, so another Steve-O voiceover explaining to us how it wasn't an easy task being an anarchist in Salt Lake City, circa 1985, with no money, no job, or no plans for the future. To be an anarchist in Salt Lake City was certainly no easy task, especially in 1985. And having no money, no job, no plans for the future, the true anarchist position was in itself a strenuous job. And our tribe was small. I mean, at the center was me, Steve-O, and Bob, my roommate, Heroin Bob. Uh, Bob didn't really do heroin. In fact, he hated needles. So he introduces Heroin Bob to us and explains how he doesn't actually do drugs as we see him randomly punch a mirror set to a badass mirror in the bathroom cover. Um, uh, he just stared at the mirror, and all of a sudden you hear the you know the kind of like the scowl riff from mirror in the bathroom playing, and then it kind of like a hardcore it picks well, up in like a hardcore fashion as he punches his mirror, he's just staring at it. It's also again iconic imagery from Black Flag. It's uh, one of the front of Black Flag's albums. I forget which one it is, but it's a dude punching a mirror. But it's more of like a silhouette of like the mirror flying away and the dude punching it. 
Yeah, so Bob's just drunk and just kind of fucked out of his own mind, and it's 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 gushing. He's bleeding. He they go to a fast food joint afterwards, <laughs> and uh, it's 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 Bob, Steve-O, and uh, their buddy Mike, played by a very young Jason Siegel. Um, actually, more on him later. They're I've all never there. Noticed that's Jason Siegel. That's Jason Siegel, brother. <laughs> yeah, I'm that's gonna, hilarious. I'm, I'm going to talk about his 1998 because it was one hell of a role. So, yeah, Mike, he, he's, all of a sudden, heroin Bob passes out, and the woman asks, is he going to be okay? And Mike's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, it'll be fine. Thank you, though. <laughs> so, like a short pause, and then, thank you, though. <laughs> so, they take him to the doctor, and the doctor wants to give him a needle, and Mike, Mike's, um, uh, Bob's refusing. Meanwhile, Mike and uh, Steve-O are in the waiting room. Uh, with this little girl sitting in front of them, and um, you can faintly hear Code Blue being called in the background. Actually, I noticed that watching it this time, because what happens in the room itself is that you know Bob doesn't do needles, and they got to give him a needle because it's infected like shit. It looks like they unwrap it. Okay, so let's talk about the wound here. So they unwrap this bandage because it's, it's the cloth. It's not even no one's no one's attended to this this wound at all they just wrapped it up wrapped it up in a dirty ass and called it a day and it was like this will be fine no it thing, it's got like a black crust over it it's just black it's, it's basically gangrene just like taking over his hand it's like shooting out oozes. the shit. doctor's like you're lucky your friends brought you here otherwise you'd be dead and it's looking like Looking at his hand, he probably would be. Well, no, because he's like, I hate doctors, man. And the doctor's yeah. like, well, thanks to me and your friends here, uh, you're alive. So, so yeah, they um, you hear Code Blue being called faintly in the background. Uh, the little girls, meanwhile, talking to Steve-O. No, Mike. Mike's asking her questions. And all of a sudden, the mother pulls her away and goes, shh. And the mother takes the little girl over to the other side of the room. And Steve-O goes to Mike and he's like, shh. <laughs> um... And that's when the whole thing, you know, you know, talking about death. We all die, Steve-O. So, yeah. Meanwhile, Mike, or meanwhile, Bob is just flipping shit. Uh, they they got to hold him down. They eventually give him the needle. Uh, real quick about Bob. Steve-O mentions to us that he doesn't even drink. He just drinks and smokes cigarettes, but that's it. He doesn't do drugs, hates needles, all that. So, we cut to hair on Bob giving this, like, drug speech. Uh, and it's so it's so bizarre, dude. I, I, I wrote a couple of my highlights down here. Uh, arsenic, you know how his hair, his fucking hair. It really makes you think, doesn't it, Bob? That chemistry is the wrong fucking major for you. It's the wrong major. So you know what happened to Sean, right? Uh, before we get to Sean, uh, we're about ten, maybe fifteen minutes into the movie. And a lot has happened. A lot. This movie is so <laughs> fast-paced. Um, not necessarily a bad thing because it, it, it covers all of its ground with what it's got. And, and it's a lot of time. But um, this movie really is like... You're like on like like, an amp, like a cocaine or something. It, like it you're on a rush. You, you know? It dares you to watch it twice. Because you know... You don't really pick up everything in the first go. Unless... No, there's just no way. I mean, it happens yeah. so fast. It's it a lot. It's so a lot. Fast, right. And there's so much input, like, right off the bat. All right. So, Sean, played by Devin Sawa, former 90s sensation heartthrob. Um, he's selling acid to John the Mod, who's um, 
played by uh, James Duvall, who I'm going to say the GP probably remembers him being Randy Quaid's oldest son in Independence Day. Yeah. But he went on to have a pretty, I wouldn't say high profile, but he had a pretty big career in, like, in the genre films and stuff and horror. Um, and his kind of the underground upbringing started with this film. And he plays John the Mod. Um, and Sean himself used to be a mod. Uh, so it explains what mods are. I was going to say. They ride around their fucking mopeds. They wear suits. They're kind of like. They're preppy punk kids that don't believe in anarchy, basically. They drive around on mopeds. They wear suits. They wear, like, nice hats. They're always trying to be extremely stylish All and right, lavish. Here it, here it is. I don't mean to cut you off, but I have the definition here according to SLC. Okay. Uh, mods wear suits and ties, and they ride scooters. They are generally the rivals of the punks, but the character John the Mod acts as a diplomat who freely moves between the uh, tribes, which is true because he's, you see all, he's at the party coming up, um, and he kind of is the ringleader of this shit because, you know, He's buying acid from Sean. Clearly him and Sean know each other because they're going back and forth about stuff. And then he says, your mom's still picking us up for soccer practice. He's like, yeah, four o'clock. And then this guy jumps in. He's like, you know, if we catch you out later, we're going to kick your ass. He's like, what the, you know, he starts off by saying, Sean, what did you become a punk for? And Sean's like, let's face it, you know, mods are pussies. He's like, we catch you out later on. We're kicking your ass. And he's like, kick my ass, kick my ass. Ooh. Um, and then suddenly the security guard comes outside from the school. Cause they're right out front of this fucking school doing this shit. Security guard comes out. Sketchy as shit ever, by the way. I know. Selling ass in front of a high school. So security guard chases him. And he chases him out around through the football field Football field's got the sprinkler system running. Sean's got over a hundred hits of acid in his pockets. All these sprinkler water is getting into his pockets, seeping through. Acid's coming out. He's taking all these hits to the leg. There's a really, really innovative shot that goes from his leg running with the pants, obviously. He's wearing khakis or whatever. And then it goes to, like, an inside shot. You see his actual leg running with, like, blue sweat running down it to represent the acid. And then it goes into, like, the... Car- like the, uh, the, the His cartilage. His cartilage and, his and stuff. And muscles, thank you. With also with the acid running down and dissolving into his muscle. So he's fried. And we're going to jump into a scene after this. Uh, Jesus. So yeah, he's fried all right. Uh, I also appreciate the fact that this dude is 1969's playing while this chase is uh, going on. I've always thought <laughs> that. Yeah. So yeah, okay, we'll get to it now. So Sean's tripping outside of his mom's house for weeks. So I went to see him like a week later and, and it just snowed and he was sitting outside in the cold. Sean? What are you doing outside, man? Are you him? Yeah, I'm him. Jesus! Have I sinned or am I going to heaven? (laughs) You're frying, man. How much acid did you take? You're not Jesus. You're Bob. I'm Bob! (laughs) How goes it? How you doing, man? Doing what? Walking on water. If I get off this chair, I'll drown. You want to know why, Bob? Because I can't swim. Oh, I get it. So, uh... 
So, Sean, do you do you see land anywhere? Or? No. Just water. Say, Bob. Yeah. You are Jesus. That's right. I am. Why do you ask? Satan is in the house. He killed my mom and turned her into a bull. Um, cause there's a scene with that shows his mother, Satan, kills her and turns her into a bull. Or that's how that's he, what he perceived said. it. When yeah. realistically, she, he's just running at her with a knife. Because his mom <laughs> comes inside. She's like, oh, I didn't see you coming to the house, Sean. And he's got a kitchen knife behind him. And he starts chasing her around the uh, the island counter. And see, all of a sudden, you see this guy in this like makeshift afro wig. It's some random dude with like a... And a tail. With a tail. With a tail. And he just jumps up to the and ceiling. And he, he, he mimics like, shh. Deshaun, and then he jumps up out of the out of the screen, and then all of a sudden you see his mom. It cuts in back and forth between her and a bull, and a bull, and then it just it focuses on the bull, implying that she turned you into can a hear bull. The bull like screaming. Yeah, it's <laughs> nuts, dude. Um, it's a funny ass scene. It's just, um, and then while he's sitting there, he's sitting on this chair and he's like staring out, and Bob's like, "Dude, what are you doing?" And he's just like, oh, uh, I'm just sitting here waiting to be saved, you know, waiting for land to pop up. Because he thinks that he's just like... He thinks Bob is um Jesus. He's yeah. like, how are you doing that? And he's like, doing what? He's like, walking on water. Because first he says, Jesus, have I sinned or am I going to heaven? And he's like... Uh, and that's when we get the uh, the famous how goes it. Um, my, my question, though... He is, says, wait, you're not Jesus, you're Bob. He goes, I'm Bob. <laughs> Yeah, and then all of a sudden you see his mom outside, and then the cops come, and they got to put their hands up, and he's like, you were saved. He's like, sure, Sean, you're saved, all right. Uh, but my question here I wrote down is, for as memorable as it is to me, is this shit too much or out of place for the film, or is it just right? It, it fits with the flow. I mean, I don't know. It fits with the flow. Watching I mean, this with a more mature mind, I'm I thinking of myself. I never realized how much they drop acid in this film and how the director goes out of his way to make everything so trippy after they do it. Like, even when he's conversating with Bob in the beginning about acid. Right. And they're, like, just having a simple back and forth. Like, the camera is constantly, like, half-cutting over and over and over again. All right, so... Oh, you're saved, buddy. Sure, Sean, you're saved. So... We cut the Bob who's in quarantine now because his infection was so bad that it became a lethal virus, he says. Um, did you notice when they show Sandy, Mike, and Bob standing outside waiting to see Sean or the waiting to see Bob? Um, Steve O, Mike, and Sandy are outside, okay. And one of the, 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 the medics like push a corpse past them. Sandy tickles its feet. <laughs> as it gets pushed by yeah. them, Sandy tickles the feet of the corpse as it's getting pushed. So yeah, I, I noticed that this time. Um, they're there seeing Bob. Um, is this one Bob's? No, it's not. 
he yeah he just it just explains that he's in there because of the, the the virus and he'll be he's gonna be there for a little while but you know they'll they'll he'll be out and he's you know freaking out and shit uh, doesn't like it he's gotta get shots and stuff like that he's against needles we know the whole spiel so we get more Steve O monologuing to the audience about how low college meant to him and Bob set to some cool slow motion shots of the two walking the streets in the town itself though. This leads to Steve-O with a gnarly mohawk, <laughs> although it's an obvious cat. Oh uh, my god, yeah. Talking about... I, the I, damn thing doesn't stick up straight at all, and all every time I notice, he moves his head, it just flops down. <laughs> nowadays, whenever I watch this scene, the only thing I can pay attention to is that goddamn bald cap he's wearing. So, it's so obvious. It's so obvious. We talked earlier about how the bald cap went on. Um, like a punk's hair sticks up because of gel. It doesn't just flop over. It doesn't flop that way. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's kind of an all or nothing situation. A, a mohawk that tall, because this thing's tall. It's like three, four. It's like three feet tall, two feet. It would be like if I shaved my head into a mohawk right here. But, yeah, exactly. Is, and then just stuck it up. I was like, but, yeah, this will work. Speaking from someone who had Liberty Spikes back in the day, the thing that holds that stuff up is a lot of hairspray. <laughs> okay, and maybe there's some other stuff, but you know, mainly hairspray does the trick. And you got to get it pretty hard to hold up that high. It doesn't flop around, bro. It's either all or nothing. It's either going to stick up or it's going to fall down. You're <laughs> not yeah. going to get that kind of effect. So anyway, it's a flashback to him talking with his parents. Thank you for giving us an hour of your time. Your mother and I found this to be rather important. You finished high school. Thank God. <laughs> now it's your time to do good. This rebellion things you're going through, I, I, I understand it. Not completely, but uh, I respect it. Now you should think about what is right for you. I mean, be free, darling. Always. Yeah, you, be practical, Steve. You got a chance to go to Harvard. You got me as an alumnus that can't yeah, but hurt. But only if it makes you happy. Look, if you want to rebel there, you can do it. I was there, I went to Woodstock. Me and the guys had a lot of fun. We did our did our thing there. We 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 got behind some causes though. We we fought for some very strong causes. We ended collectively. We ended that goddamn war in Nam so that guys like you could be free. There's all these possibilities for you, Stephen. Carry the torch now, okay? I can see by looking at you that you're ready. Proud of the fact that you're a, an individual. Very proud. So proud. One thing. Uh, this may not be easy to hear, but the hair. Maybe tone it down a bit. The whole thing that you're doing. In my day, it was, you know, hair, long hair, beatniks, paisley, you know, that stuff. And uh, not liked, that kind of thing. This whole thing you're doing, this uh, statement about the American Indian you're doing, I'm baffled. And, and not just me. I mean, I'm saying regular guy in the street is going to be baffled, too. And we're hip, we're cool. It's just those guys on the East Coast are never going to get it, you know, with that... They're not going to get this in New York, you know what I'm saying? Oh, Jesus, <laughs> darling, we sound like our parents. Yeah. <laughs> It's difficult, dear. We just want to support you. 100%. Take the ball and run with it. Make a difference. But always with love. Remember that, Stephen. Always with love. Oh, oh, time out. I just want to ask uh, real quick, if I can. Um, you believe in rebellion, freedom, and love, right? Absolutely. Rebellion, freedom, yes. love. <laughs> you two are divorced, so love failed. 
Two, mom, your new age of clinging to any kind of scrap of Eastern religion that may justify why the above said love failed. Three, dad, you're a slick, corporate, preppy-ass lawyer. I don't really have to say anything else about you, do I, dad? Four, you moved from New York City, the mecca and hub of the cultural world, to Utah. Nowhere to change nothing, more to perpetuate this cycle of money, greed, fascism, and triviality. I mean, your movement of the people, by the people, and for the people got you nothing. You just hide behind some lost sense of drugs, sex, rock and roll, oh, kumbaya. I am the future. I am the future of this great nation which you, Father, so arrogantly saved this world for. Look, I, I have my own agenda. Harvard out, University of Utah in. I'm gonna get a 4.0 in damage. I love you guys. Don't get me wrong. It's all about this. But for the first time in my life, I'm 18 and I can say, fuck you! Steven, I didn't, I didn't sell out, son. I bought in. Keep that in mind. Talking to them, sitting down about life and college and stuff. They're, go, they're, they're, they're talking to him, and he's got these funny mannerisms the whole time uh, while they're speaking. Kip's, like, giving him thumbs up and peace signs. Peace and signs and stuff like, like that. Um, the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and then he turns the tables and is like, so you guys are all about, you know, hippie. Like, you guys are, like, kind of hippies. Like, all about love, peace, all that. Kumbaya. He's like, you guys are divorced, so love so failed. So, therefore, love failed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you moved from like New York uh, to Mecca. Mecca to Utah, nowhere. And he goes, Utah, and he fucking points out the window for a slight pause. He's like, nothing. <laughs> He's like, I love you guys. I love you guys to death. But, you know, I'm 18 for the first time in my life. I can say, fuck, fuck you. you. That was like the quote of the century after that film, too. That, and when like, he goes to walk out, and his dad's like, I didn't sell it, son. I bought it. <laughs> He like pats, we, he pats him on the shoulder. He's like, "Good for you, buddy." Good talk. <laughs> and his mom's like, "He takes out through his father. He's a son of a bitch. Fuck you, dear. Fuck you, dear." So it's and it's Shooter McGavin. We should too. mention it's Shooter McGavin. It's exactly. Shooter McGavin. It's Christopher McDonald plays uh, Steve's father. And it's fucking Shooter McGavin. I mean, this was filmed like a year after that movie came out. So it's, like, he still has a Shooter McGavin look. That yes. guy never changed his tune. All the all the the years from Dutch to the rich man's wife. To do this, it's funny. He be- looks like Christopher McDonald. Yeah, as many times, or as much as I enjoy Happy Gilmore, don't get me wrong, I'm not discrediting it, but when I think of that gentleman, I definitely think SLC Punk and how he's the father. That's the very first role that comes to my head about. Uh, I wish I could say that, but no, for me, it's Jim McGavin. It's always the, it's, I love Happy Gilmore. Um, He's just like unintentionally funny. In I know, show. I know, like I know. He's, he's not trying to be funny. <laughs> and then suddenly we hear Fears, I Love Living in the City, playing as Steve-O explains to us that four years after four years of college, nothing. They were intentionally wasting their educated minds. And then we get a uh, little... Uh, we get what, to many, will view this as the film's highlight. It's the mall. It's the scene with Steve-O in the mall talking about all the groups and the and fashion and Ironically stories. pointing out how everyone's a poser, basically. Now, sure, you know, there's a lot more punks than there was four years earlier, but there was also as many posers. Posers were people that looked like punks, but they did it for fashion. And they were fools, they'd say. Anarchy in the UK. You see, posers. Anarchy in the UK. What the fuck's that? 
What good is that to those of us in Utah, America? It was a sex pistol thing, right? They were from England, they were British, that's what they did. They were allowed to go on about anarchy in the UK. You don't live your life by lyrics. I mean, that's all you ever heard from these trendy fucks. Like, uh, do you hear the new Smiths album? It's fucking terrific. Kids walking around Utah saying terrific, that stupid little English twang. See you know what I mean? What the fuck's up with the England bullshit? You need Jack is a fag. I Man, you're a girl, right? Only have sex with a guy if you had a fucking accent. Can you think of anything more ludicrous in your life? It's every asshole in Salt Lake City, let me tell ya. Plenty of assholes in this general region that wanna do a little of this, would get her drunk and put on some kind of stupid fucking accent like, hey, mistress, do you fancy a shag? There she would, fucking knees in the sky. It was sad, it made me really sad. Poor girl had no self-respect. See, to me, England, was nothing more than a big fucking American state, like uh, like North Dakota or Canada. You gotta look at me and you gotta say, hey buddy, why are you so mad? I'll tell you. Because for all the fawning that went over the English bands in the SLC, those fucking English chaps could only say shit about us Americans. All we were to them was a bunch of hicks. Well, you know what? I'm not a fucking hick. I don't wear cowboy boots. I hate the fucking rodeo. Horses smell like shit to me, and I never fuck anyone in my own bloodline. By definition, I'm not a redneck, and goddammit, I ain't a fucking hick. Oh, the sun never sets on the British Empire. Well, the sun never sets on my asshole. Another thing that pissed me off, talking about who started punk rock music. Was it Sex Pistols in England? Was it the Ramones and the Velvet Underground in New York? It's the Ramones and the Sex Pistols. Who cares who started it? Yeah, that's the big, like, that's what this film is, like, centered around, is, is being a poser. You know, we're, we've got that shuttle, we've got that kindergarten mentality, but whatever. Points out anarchy in the UK. is like, what the hell does that mean to me in Utah? <laughs> like, yeah. And talking about how a girl, like, got essayed uh, because a guy faked the British accent. It's like, hey, mistress, you fancy shag. <laughs> um... Yeah, I mean, let me get a, like an unnecessary close-up shot of Matthew Lillard's ass. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that from that scene. But it's funny because he's basically just making fun of like UK punk bands or like just UK bands in general that tried to be part part of the punk culture. And I love how he points out the Smiths. Oh my god, I love how he points out the Smiths. <laughs> like the Smiths couldn't be any further from punk rock at at all. Like. But a lot of people defend that scene, argument. Though. Everyone in the scene was always like, "Oh, dude, you gotta love the Smiths." Like. Why? Fuck me. I vaguely like, remember there always being a hot topic of were were the Smiths or weren't the Smiths punk rock. It's like I, who gives a shit? It's like it's like what Steve says. Who cares who started it? I don't, get, I don't give a fuck who started it. It's it's, it's music. I don't care who it is or where it came from. I just I know I like it. And that leads to Exhibit A because he's talking about you know which UK and the US, uh, which one like has the best punk rock or which which has the better you know punk ground punk round punk background. band background punk yeah. background so he goes exhibit a talking about this band called ecp extreme corporal punishment worst um, punk rock band they go to this ever. show for this band and in reality it was this salt lake band who won this radio gig i read about that so at this show a lot's going on we're introduced to um um Jesus. We're, intro- we're introduced to Mark. Um, Mike is there, obviously, because he's in a key moment. Um, Steve-O and Sandy are banging against the wall in front of a crowd. Um, I don't know, man. 
I've been to literally over a thousand shows, and I've never seen two people having sex on, on the, against on the, the si- wall. on the side of the wall. Or, I mean, on the side of on the side of the crowd, you know, against the wall. Never seen that before. Um, so if that's how they did it, if that's how they get down in uh, Salt Lake, then I don't know. And that's a talent god. Okay. <laughs> um, Mark's there with Mike talking about pain. Uh, there's a lot going on in this scene. Uh, but the big thing is heroin Bob's in the crowd. He's jacked up, ready for a good show. And he's throwing down and then he gets on stage and, start, and puts his arm around the singer's, uh, head and they sing along with them, which is typical for a show. I've seen that happen numerous times. I've done it with Greg from the Bouncing Souls so many fucking times when they come to the auto bar and you know, there's no garbage yeah, else you can do that. It's definitely a thing, but I think what I picked up on this time around watching is he did it intentionally to piss the dude off because he's from the UK and he's just trying to show how hardcore punks can be in America. I gotcha. I can see what you mean. Which is why he like grabs his, puts his arm around him and starts yelling at the top of his lungs and then intentionally gets started with the bouncer. Well, the bouncer comes from like out of nowhere, all of a sudden grabs him and that's when uh, Mike and Mark are still talking and Mike's like takes off his glasses gives them to Mark and he's like hey hold these I gotta go take care of something he gets up on stage and just beats the hell out of this bouncer now it's Jason Siegel like I mentioned before playing Mike here Jason Siegel looks like he's 25 26 he's supposed to be playing an 18 year old fresh out of high school I don't know just point that out it it's so funny, Jason Siegel. But anyway, so the, all of a sudden the cops come, they bust in. Uh, everyone, I think Trish is there too. They all bat, they all go out the back window and head to the after party. Um, Which, by the way, smart idea. While everybody else is just running out the front door and causing a commotion, fuck it, just find a window and jump out. Of it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh, also. Um, one thing I wanted to mention with Mike and Mark, uh, this is where we're briefly. Uh, th- th- Mark has one of my favorite quotes in this movie. He's like, "I am not old, motherfucker. I'm young in my heart." And he's like, "Something that I still say to this day is how when he says that, it's like, it depends on what you mean. I'm young in my heart." If that the way he talks, yeah. that accent. Which, by the way, what a random fucking character. Like, he's not a punk. He's not an anarchist. Yeah. He's I, just a drug dealer. We're going to talk about Mark but, in a little bit. But also briefly when this whole riot breaks out after Mark and uh, uh, the, Mike and the bouncer get into it, it causes a brief little riot or whatever. Um, there's a scene with Matthew Lillard. It's really quick. Blinking, you miss it. He's flipping off the camera and looking at it and, first, and like breaking the fourth wall. Did you notice it watching it? Yeah. Do you know the story behind that? No. It, it's because the cameraman guy like actually hit him by accident like in the back of the head of the camera and it pissed him off so he turned around and was like fuck you to the, with the, with the middle finger that's funny and Mary and Dina liked it so they <laughs> kept it so yeah I learned that from the commentary way back in the day when I actually listened to commentaries so the, they go to this after party we see Mike apologizing to the bouncer <laughs> he's like, Mike's trying to explain to him, you know, what Mark or what Bob was doing. He's like, I'm the bloody bouncer of the band. It's what I do. It's my job. He's like, yes, I get it. But you put your hands on my friend. So I had to step in. Yes. 
Um, Steve-O talks to us about the band and how they're the toughest band in the UK, but come to Utah where an 18-year-old stomps their bouncer. He basically tells us that they're tougher than they look and they come like fire. So they go see Bob. A lot of, this is kind of like Tarantino-esque with time. I never really put two and two together watching this all the times growing up. But now I'm watching it and I'm like, man, they're really fucking with time in this movie. So cut back to Bob because remember, he's still in the hospital in quarantine. Uh, the nurse asks, they ask the nurse how he's doing. And she says, have you ever seen The Exorcist? <laughs> so, yeah. She's like, did you like it? <laughs> and she, he's like, is this safe? And she's like, not clinically. <laughs> so they go in. They tell him that it's his last day. And uh, this brings much joy to Bob, obviously. Who has decked the room out in anarchy symbols and upside down, upside cross. down crosses. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he says he's got it, an anarchy on his an anarchy symbol like on his fucking hospital coat that he's got on. Yeah, <laughs> like they said that they named the disease after him. Uh, Mike asks about his father if he visited, and Bob says that uh, he didn't come because he was drunk. So. Cut to the party I mentioned before when we were talking about the uh, the power, uh, or not power, but the um, ownership of said place. Anyway, party at the apartment. Um, Steve says it's the first party of the fall. Uh, he goes around introducing everyone to the audience. So this is calling this when we get our like exposition, uh, introductions. You know what's going on. Explain everything to us and who these people are and what's going on. Sort of. Um, so he's by the way, midway through the film this is, and now all of a sudden he's just like introducing us to characters and like well, I, a lot of these characters we knew but Read this right here in my note. What does that say? Party at the apartment. No 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 where my thumb is. Could have. Could have used this scene earlier in the film. <laughs> like yeah, definitely could have used this scene earlier in the film. Could've but I didn't even this. realize it until I just watched it. I was like, huh, it's like midway through the film here. I, I, I just like name dropping people and being like, this is them and this is what they do. And this is why they're part of the scene. Like, okay. Messing with time. But I <laughs> added a but. I said, but I still think it's a clever and fun way to really connect this with these characters. Um, and this is what I also want to talk about Steve-O's hair. Because he's got spiky blue hair. And the shade is very inconsistent throughout this movie. And it's not because of time. <laughs> Have you noticed the shade? Yeah. I mean, the shit goes from, like, light to normal to dim to one part I swear it was gray. And then at the end, when they're in the the, the, the wet sandbank before Sandy's party, all of a sudden, boom, it's like a fresh blue paint job. Like, his hair is, like, sparkly blue out of nowhere. Like, this movie's, like, I don't know, didn't really care about continuity. They can also play it off the part of, you know, he's just a stupid punk kid who's like dying his hair from time to time. I know, I know. It's just but stupid I shit that I pay attention yeah. to. It's, I can't help it. I was going to say, I highly doubt that that's like the case, but I'm just saying that would be the argument. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, So we're at Mark's place. Uh, as Steve-O tells... Okay, so God, another story. So Mark's place with Steve-O telling us that, the, that they had to get used to hearing a lot of rambling when they uh, went to Mark's to score some drugs. This is where we really get to know Mark, including his past and why he's the way he is, always afraid of being ripped off. Um, he 
so he's going around his play show. Is Bob sleeping on the couch? And Steve O and and and, and all Mark. Bob's, all, Bob's not there for any reason. Like he doesn't do drugs, so he is literally just there for the ride. <laughs> so yeah, he's just so Mark showing Mark showing Steve O the place, and he's he, the whole like you know. Uh, this is not. You may think this is a silver record, but it's not a silver record. It's a laser disc, uh, and the whole uh, Show the, the shower, shower head, head, the shower, and how so it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like different variables of water pressure, like. I think Steve-O cares. <laughs> I know, but he explained to us that they always have to put up with it. So yeah, yeah Mark's, of course, they're there to score. Mark's showing the place. Um, and all of a sudden, he just starts rambling about being ripped off all the time. So he accuses Bob of ripping him off. And he goes out with his gun. He's like, hey, you try to rip me off? And Bob's like, what are you talking about? I didn't rip you off. And he pulls a gun on him and he's like, Call and trying to call his bluff, and all of a sudden he shoots two rounds into the pillow next to Bob, and they're freaking out and shit. Hey, you! Get up! You have my shit! Put that shit away before I kick your ass, man. Shit! You're so late, Steve Rose! Get off my back! I don't want to hurt you! I'm here! What? Come on, empty your pockets! This is fucking uncool, Mark! We see about two in a minute, okay? All right. I'm sorry. You're sorry? Yeah, I just thought you had my shit. Yeah, well, fuck you, man. Hey, don't say that, fuck you. I said I'm sorry. No, I said, fuck you. I said sorry. Fuck you. Come on. Bro. No, You're no, like my get brother. Away. I, hey. All right, all right, I'm not in, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> Give me a kiss. The whole montage in general is just, it's so memorable to me and quotable. I always look back on this scene when I think about this movie. Um... He explains why he's there all of a sudden. He says that he he shot two men in the back of the head back in Miami. And that's why he's here. Why else would I want to live in this place? Salt Lake shitty. As he says, um, talks about, explains how his family died in a plane crash. His mom kept watching him and then he was watching her and then she got her head cut off. And then he was looking around for his father because all, all he could see was limbs and shit of his brother and sister if he found his father he was gonna kick his dead body in yeah <laughs> yeah which so, i don't understand like what does your father have to do with it like i i have no idea because he doesn't really further elaborate on the story yeah. it kind of comes and ends there so back to bob uh being accused of stealing he hasn't both emptied their pockets and you know, that they show that there's nothing going on so he like knows that he fucked up and he's like, you know, I'm sorry. And he's like, well, fuck you. He's like, why would you say that? I said, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> fuck you. Why would you say that? And, um, they, they all of a sudden, they, they eventually hug. And he's like, here, give, give me a kiss. He, has, he points give, it to it with a gun. Yeah. He points it to his cheek with his gun. He's like, give me a kiss. <laughs> so they end up going out to steal a car after they all make up eventually. Um, didn't need to. He had a lot already. Uh, Ronald Reagan, he starts he starts rambling about a random shit. This is Mark, mind you, and this, they, they all steal a car. And there's they've got the three in the car, and it's like, Ronald Reagan only having one testicle. I only saw a picture once. The world has no way of cleaning itself. That's why there's so much dust. 
Um, the underground tunnel that goes from Texas to DC where they smuggle UFOs. And my favorite, did you know that dolphins are man evolved? Did you know that? <laughs> did you know that? I once saw a half man, half dolphin in Greece. <laughs> and then good. he eventually tries ditching the car by like driving it into the lake, but it just floats. It's just floating. It just floats and it's like, why sink you full of sink? And it's like, dude. Steve was like, it's like salt lake. It's the saltiest lake. It's, it's why great it's called that. Salt Lake. <laughs> <laughs> because why isn't it sinking? And Bob goes, because of all the salt. Like, <laughs> about, and meanwhile, Mark's about to fucking cry. He's like, why would it sink? Um. So yeah, we cut back to the party because reminded you, this fucking shit's all going over this party that's never ending. Uh, more introductions. Uh, talks. He meets this girl Jen. Who says he explains that you know she's really cool down to earth chick, but if she's off her meds to avoid her at all costs, and she's like, Parana, um, he even mentions uh, meeting someone later on in the movie while talking about her, which is her brother Chris. Uh, like this is a planned biopic of this fictitious character or something. He's like, you know, we're gonna talk about her brother Chris, but we're gonna meet him later on, so yeah. we're gonna pause for that. Um, we then meet Sandy's girlfriend and then John the Mod who bought this stuff from Sean earlier. John the Mod just says, Gandhi! He takes like a handful of pills. He's like, Gandhi! <laughs> and then John asks where he got the beer, which leads to Wyoming? No, no, no. Which leads to the film's breakdown of alcohol in Utah. So he tells us a story about, you know, basically Utah is really, 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 yeah, really religious. And the only alcohol that they, the beer that they sell in Utah is like three and a half percent alcohol as opposed to the five and a half that we get like everywhere else. So they got to like, he's like, it sounds so stupid because if you're a drunk, you're just going to drink twice as much. Like it doesn't make sense. All Um, you're doing is getting me fat and bloated. (laughs) And he literally says that it's funny as hell. Is that true? What? If anyone is from Ohio listening, or no, if anyone's from Utah oh, listening, yeah. I'm very curious as to if, how true that is. Like, well, this is also 85. So well, I'm talking about now, like current. Is this a thing in Utah? I mean, I know you guys love your God over there. I'm, I'm sorry you do. But um, the disrespect causes us to seize it. Is that true, though? You guys are like ripping off drunks in Utah? I don't, know, I don't know how else to put it. That's PC. You drink, you drink. You drink to get drunk. You're drunk, you're drunk. It's what it is. If you want to get drunk, you'll drink twice the amount. There you go. <laughs> I guess. I mean, it could be a... I don't know. Whatever. So, then he tells us the story of this uh, of buying alcohol from a, a clerk one night who was an undercover cop. So, he suspects trouble by their looks and calls another uh, squad to follow them home. Uh, and then we cut to Bob and Steve-O on the ground in, hand, in handcuffs and they're getting uncuffed and uh, they get beat down after the provoking officer gets into Bob's face. He's like, what, you want to hit me? You want to hit me? And he just pushes them and at least they're getting their asses kicked and beat down. And then he says there's also uh, choice B, Wyoming. And this is where we get Steve-O, Bob, and Eddie who were introduced to driving out of state to Wyoming the morning of the party for the alcohol. So now we're kind of close to the party itself, but we're at the morning of said party. Yeah. 
Um, and this is for Eddie's formal introduction. Eddie wasn't an anarchist. He wasn't even really a punk. Eddie was into women. But not in a macho, jerky kind of way, right? He was a true romantic. He had his ass beat several times for being gay, which he was not. Imagine, fag bash without the benefits. I could give a shit what the rednecks in this town think about me. I know I'm not gay. Ladies know I'm not gay. I have no problem with gay guys. As a matter of fact, they are some of the coolest guys that I know. The only reason half these guys start shooting, it's not because they want to fight. It's because they want to fuck. <laughs> I don't know, man. You know, if somebody called me something that I wasn't, I could see getting mad. The problem with somebody giving you shit about being gay, it's, it's not that they're wrong about you, man. It's that they're giving you shit. Get it? So do you like this music, man? Yeah. Rocks. I think it's for posers. Well, I think you're a fag. Fag? Fuck you. No, fuck yourself. Get more pussy. Uh, so we get to the liquor store, and the clerk's like, what the hell are you? Who let you boys out of the state institute? No, no, we're from England. That's probably why we're, we seem so weird. And then he says, you boys enjoying your stay here in the good old U.S. of A? Um, and then Mrs. Blankenship from Halloween 6 comes into the podcast, comes out as his wife, I guess. And she's like, you look like a god darn Indian. And, and Steve-O is having a damn time with this. Uh, dude, he's just, like, laughing his ass off in the background. Especially <laughs> when they cut to the man or woman having to talk about religion and stuff in, in the back of the store. With, uh... He starts... Bob and Steve-O acting possessed, and all of a sudden, Steve-O pulls down his pants to reveal this 666 tattoo on his ass. <laughs> Which, by the way, why does he have a 666? That's random as I shit. I have no clue. I don't know like, if they drew it on him real quick, and then No, no. That's a tattoo. That's weird as shit. I don't know. So it leads to the clerk who was confused by their appearance earlier. Now he's like, oh, I'm going to get a shotgun after these bitches. And he pulls his gun and starts chasing them out. Um, and then get a really random scene with Steve-O explaining the neo-Nazi party. As uh, we see this group of neo-Nazis walking down the street and randomly get attacked by Steve-O and company. And that's it. Even Steve-O himself was like, just wanted to throw that out there. That's all. Well, Move, because right when along. you're part of like the punk culture and like the anarchist culture, especially, you will have stupid people that somehow try to interpret neo-Nazi ideas and ideology into it. And it's like, no, you're so stupid. Like you're so fucking dumb. Which is why he particularly threw that in the film. And it's just a one-off of him beating the shit out of him. Right. That's right. all you really need to know. <laughs> like. All right, so back at the party, we see Eddie hitting on a girl while Trish talks Bob's mind off. Uh, suddenly, we get the rednecks crashing the party, all of a sudden with clubs and a massive fight breaking out, all set to Van Halen's hot for teacher. Just big-ass brawl going on right now between the rednecks just assembling this tirade upon these punks at this party out of nowhere. And then... Which, um, by the way, why Van Halen? I don't know. <laughs> Random as shit. I think that represents them, but I would never classify Van Halen as quote-unquote redneck music. Um, so then mid-fight breakdown, uh, it just freeze frame, and there's a breakdown of, like... The fight. What does it mean, and where does it come from? An essay. Homo sapien. A man. He is alone in the universe. A punker. Still a man. He's alone in the universe, but he connects. How? They hit each other. Ooh, no clear way to evaluate whether or not you're alive. Now, complications. 
A reason to fight. Somebody different. Difference creates dispute. Dispute is a reason to fight. Now, to fight is a reason to feel pain. Life is pain. So to fight with reason is to be alive with reason. Final analysis. To fight, a reason to live. Problems and contradictions. I'm an anarchist. I believe that there should be no rules, only chaos. Fighting appears to be chaos, and when we slam and pin a show, it is. But when we fight for a reason, like rednecks, there's a system. We fight for what we stand for, chaos. But fighting is a structure. Fighting is to establish power. Power is government, and government is not anarchy. Government is war, and war is fighting. The circle goes like this. Our redneck skirmishes are cheaper versions of conventional warfare. War implies extreme government because wars are fought to enforce rules or ideals, even freedom. But other people's ideals forced on someone else, even if it is something like freedom, is still a rule, not anarchy. This contradiction is becoming clear to me in the fall of 85. Even as early as my first party, why did I love to fight? I framed it, but I still, I don't understand it. It goes against my beliefs as a true anarchist. But there it was. Competition, fighting, capitalism, government, the system. It's what we did, it's what we always did. Rednecks kicked the shit out of punks, punks kicked the shit out of mods, mods kicked the shit out of skinheads, skinheads took out the heavy metal guys, and heavy metal guys beat the living shit out of new waivers, and the new waivers did nothing. They were the new hippies. What was the point? Final summation? And then all of a sudden, cuts right back to the party fight, fade to black, and we cut to Trish's head shop with uh, Bob and Steve-O as she's closing up. Then Mark comes in out of nowhere and says that he's going back to Miami, but he'll be back at an unforeseen uh, date and time. He leaves with, uh, Hey, Steve-O, fuck you. And that is it. Uh, exit Till Schwager from the film. Um, yeah, Steve-O explains that that's the last they saw of him, that uh, they heard that he died or something in a plane crash. I think he's what he says. And he's well, like, also, well, the reason he says, Steve-O, fuck you, is I, uh, Steve-O looks at him and goes, look, man, if you ever need to call anybody, he just looks at Bob and goes, you can call Bob. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah, that's what he says. People came, people went. That was Salt Lake City. So, walking home, Bob reveals to Steve-O that he sold himself to Trish for 36 bucks. Um, what? That's what he says. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like it was, so, like it's so weird that that was added into the movie. Yeah, well, it's a ploy to get him to exit the scene because they go away because she takes him with him with her. She takes him with her. Uh, then all of a sudden, this gives time to show what happens next with Steve's dad. Steve's dad pulls up suddenly with a uh, a Porsche and reveals that it's got good news. Get a man. <laughs> How are things going these days? Not so bad. How are the ladies treating you? The ladies? I'll tell you, the women in this town are so miserable. I'd give anything to get the hell out. You know, you gave up a good thing in my mother, sir. Maybe so. So, good news. Uh, the world is coming to its end. Better. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Better than that? The people are revolting. You yeah? have been invited uh -huh. to attend Harvard Law School. Yeah. Dad, you and I really gotta work on your your definition of good news. Steven, this is great news. You've already gone through pre-law. 
why not finish the process and in the best possible way? It's so funny because, gosh, Father, don't even remember applying to Harvard Law. Well, I applied for you. You mean you signed my name? Yep. Hey, congratulations, old man. Hope you enjoy your second tour of Harvard Law School. <laughs> Steven, hmm? what are you going to walk around like this forever? Come on, you went to school, you got great grades. And what else is there? I cheated, Dad. I cheated all through college. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you cheated. But why? You obviously cared enough about your grades to do well. I know you, Steve. You're just like me. <laughs> I'm like you, maybe, but not completely. And why, why pre-law? Why not uh, liberal science? Why, why go at all? I studied law because I wanted to learn how completely full of shit your life's ambition was. <laughs> That's crazy. You know that. You know what I think it is? I think you're sitting there. You've become a fascist. <laughs> fascist? You're a Nazi. Nazi, I'm Jewish, dude. How can I be a Nazi? Oh, that's that's the worst. Dad, look at this. What kind of what kind of car is this? Uh, this would be a Porsche. A Porsche that yeah. you bought at a Volkswagen dealership. Volkswagen. <laughs> you know, right? For the people. Who designed it? Who made that possible? Let me give you a hint. Adolf Hitler. It's just a car! Okay? Yeah. He's he's been invited to attend Harvard Law School. And like Steve is like, mm, you gotta work on your definition of good news, Dad. <laughs> And he's like, why not? He's like, you've already went, went through law, pre-law, you know. Um, so they, they then go out to lunch and have a very, at a very nice restaurant. Steve-O dressed nice. No, everyone's dressed up nice, but Steve-O. You know what Steve-O's eating? Hot dog. Hot dog. <laughs> Fucking hot dog. It's a gourmet <laughs> restaurant, like a five-star restaurant. Everyone's dressed to the nine having their little miniature lunches that cost them probably 50 bucks. Steve's got a hot dog. I love it. I've always loved that about this scene. Just basic dude. That's how I'd be if I was in a restaurant like that. I mean, I'd at least wear a coat. <laughs> but, nah, you know, in Steve's defense, it was impromptu. His dad picked him up off the street and was like, hey, let's go to lunch. So, Yeah, it's not Steve's fault you took him to a fucking five-star restaurant <laughs> <laughs> while he's wearing his anarchist getup. <laughs> And I also like how while they're talking, uh, this woman's looking at him and he's like, hey, what are you staring at? Can you get a good picture? And then suddenly we cut to Steve-O and uh, Sandy walking down the street and they encounter Sean again, who's now become Sean the Baker. Um, he's talking, he explains how shitty it is being a bum, how it sucks, it hurts, but uh, you know, Sandy explains he should get a job and he's like, I tried that. I fucking tried that already. And we cut to Sean wearing a homemade sh uh, shirt that says, fuck you, written Fuck on you, it. written on And he walks into this, like, high-class, like, women's design store. And he's like, you know, I applied for a job. I want to I work for you guys. And she's like, do you have yeah, any prior experience? He, he walks up to her and goes, hey! Hey! Yeah. <laughs> he goes, hey! Nah. He's like, I want to sell clothes. Women's clothes. <laughs> she's like, do you have any experience? He's like, what the fuck would I be doing with women's clothes? Like, like a transvestite? I ain't a fucking transvestite. You know, a little bit back and forth. She's like scared of him, obviously. And he's like, you she, know, I don't even like, want your job. have you had any experience with women's clothes? He goes, Why? no, lady. If I had fucking experience with women's clothes, I wouldn't be coming to you asking for a fucking job. I'm like, <laughs> he's like, you got a real attitude. He's got a real bad attitude, lady. You got a really bad attitude, lady. She's like, I don't even want your job. You know why? Because I got integrity. And fuck integrity. <laughs> nah. Nah. 
So back to Steve-O and Sandy there. Like, Steve-O can't even look at Sean. Like, Sandy gives him a little bit of cash. She's like, here, man. And take off. And that's it. Exit exit Sean. Yeah, bye, Devin Sawa. Yeah. So Steve-O and Sandy leave, so- leave Sean to go to the park. The trip ass that she got from Trish. Uh, they go to another park. Which is weird. They start tripping out of park, but then they drive to another park once the drugs kick in from the first park. They go overlooking... It's a park that's like kind of like hilly overlooking the city. Uh, with some trippy voiceovers. We get a, you know, a, a blood flowing down suddenly in front of Steve like a river. Um, Sandy's in front of him talking about life and stuff, and then there's like some stock T2 footage of the. I was gonna say that's Terminator. That's from T2, dude. (laughs) Clear as day, that's from T2. Um, and Steve. It's literally the moment where Sarah Connor's up against the fence. Yes, (laughs) badass shot. Um, hey, shout out to Terminator 2, by the way. 30th anniversary was the other day. Best action film ever. I wouldn't say ever, but it's up there. It's top five. Easily a top five for me. It's probably, probably my favorite sequel of all time. One of them. Way up there as far as like a sequel goes. Yeah. Vast improvement over the original. Uh, Steve-O asks Bob outright if he loves Trish. He says that he, he does. Actually, he gets in this like prolonged like response and shit. He's like, yeah, maybe I do. And Steve-O accuses him of being a poser. He's like, you're a poser. I always knew you were a poser. He's like, why am I a poser? He's like, you're in love. Only posers fall in love. And it's like, really? Are we having this conversation again? So he quickly negates it and says, you know, hey, Bob, I don't really think you're a poser. <laughs> uh, Steve-O brings up this girl, Jen, the the one from earlier, the piranha, um, and mentions uh, the guy that he told us about that he talked more about later. Well, that later is now. And we're finally being introduced to her brother, Chris, when the guys go to his house to hang out and talk. Uh, Jen's there freaking out, looking like the exact opposite way she looked earlier because she's off her meds because of Chris's convincing. Um, she's like itching herself constantly and acting like a fiend. It's, 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 it sucks. So Chris is thrilled to see Steve-O. Definitely a hippie, Steve-O says. God, it's worth mentioning... Um, this guy, Jones, who I'll get back and I'll get to him in a second, but wanted to bring him up first and foremost so I didn't forget. Chris convinced her to stop taking the meds. Steve-O confronts him about it, but all he really uh, gets is rambling and nonsense before they start talking anarchy. So there's uh, back to Jones. He's having these random outbursts during this anarchist conversation <laughs> about satan and he's gonna prove that there is a satan and no and he's gonna prove there's not no a that's satan. right there's not a Satan. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah big big difference like like what you're gonna do what <laughs> and he finally convinces them all to leave to go outside with them he's like come on we got science to celebrate and demons to dispel so everyone goes outside to watch him actually do it and steve-o walks in when sandy's sleeping with another guy in another room um Steve goes to attack when the screen suddenly freezes and his voiceover explains, It wasn't that I loved Sandy. I knew that what we had was an understanding, but I discovered that uh, Chris was right. All things had systems, even me. 
I was about to beat the living shit out of this guy because he invaded my territory. It was my territory. No question about it. Just like in the wild. I was following nature and nature was order and order is the system. It then cuts back to Steve-O kicking the shit out of him only for Sandy to call him a pussy. So he says fuck you to her face and goes outside to watch Jones perform a ritual around a flaming pentagram. Yeah. So that happens. And then we get a quick scene of like, Steve-O and Bob. sent this pentagram up? I know, right? <laughs> uh, just a little bit back and forth. Kind of mirrors the, the posers fall in love scene from earlier. Uh, it's Steve-O and Bob again at their place going at it about Salt Lake, Salt Lake being their home. So if he's not pissy with Bob about being a poser for falling in love, now he's being pissy with Bob because Bob says that Salt Lake City is home. And Bob's got a and Steve's got a real problem with that. Steve's like, "This will never be my fucking home." It's like, I've always felt this way, but I want to say it outright. Steve's always fucking. The later, the more this film goes on, the more I see him acting more and more like a little sissy about shit. I don't know. Um, because he's more about the culture than just living. I think the he's. Lifestyle. I think he's so confused in his own lifestyle that he don't know what's what. That's what I think. So. Steve-O monologues about his true hatred for Salt Lake City over a cool sunset shot, followed by shots of the city itself. Steve-O then explains Mike is leaving to study botany. Yeah, get a cut to the bar with all the guys sending him off, which leads to a flashback while Steve-O is talking about how hardcore Mike is. They cut to a night with Mike being drunk, and he goes down the street beating out windows from a car windshield with a baseball bat. The cops all surround him and like hold him down and to get him locked up. They have the call for backup. Steve-O says, and then he's in the actual in the cop car. And Steve-O explains that he broke his handcuffs and kicked out the window and ran off. He escaped into the night, and now he's going to <laughs> hug a tree. <laughs> he was like the toughest punk kid in the scene. He's going to save the fucking trees. He's going to see the rainforest. He says. And all of a sudden, it cuts to him. He's sitting there. He goes, "Someone's got to save a man." He just punches the table hard as shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love this shit. So we get Steve and Bob, uh, first two punks, last two punks. Everyone's leaving, talking about Bob and Steve's fashion statement. Um, and then we got Trish wanting to set Steve up with Brandy, this girl Brandy. This is the last party in my youth, and I was to meet Brandy. I'm gonna say it right here, people. Brandy was the woman that I was gonna marry. That's right. I didn't know it then. Didn't even know what she was like. Hell, I wasn't even sure if I was gay, asexual, or a punk, or a mod, my dad, Bob, Sean the beggar. I didn't know a goddamn thing that night. If I knew what was ahead of me, you know, I may have stayed in bed. Or I may have felt better about that night. Who knows? Life is like that. We change, that's all. You see, the guy I am now was not the guy I was then. If the guy I was then met the guy I am now, he'd beat the shit out of me. Those are the facts. But still, I lied awake. Was I afraid? Was I angry? Or was it just the end? Hmm? Was it just the end and I knew it? This is that wet sand scene I was talking about earlier where his hair really stands out. Like the one thing I took watching this scene, the only thing I can really notice about this scene. It's the thing that stands out is how blue his hair is in this scene. It's never this blue at the entire movie except for this part alone. Um, it's got an awesome flyover shot at the end. I've always dug. Yeah, flyover shot with them. That's cool. Yeah. 
that is like an iconic scene for that movie in particular. Yeah. But before we get to this party, Bob's going to go see his dad for his birthday. And um, one of the most random scenes in the movie, too. It is. <laughs> it, it's so random, I forgot it even happened. I forgot all about this scene. They go to see Steve... Oh, sorry. They go to see Bob's dad. Now, they kind of talked about Bob's dad earlier in the movie. About they how kind he's of, drunk. Yeah, they, they don't really they, get into they, it. They lean more towards him just being a loony nut job who's never in Bob's life anymore. Um, and that's kind of what it is. They go to see him. He's like living up in this shack in the woods in the middle of nowhere. He's sleeping on the couch and they just go in and quietly sit in front of him. And he wakes up and he's like, who the hell are you two? Who the hell are you guys? And he thinks that they're from the CIA, and he's like, no, Dad, it's, it's your son, Bob. I wanted to wish you a happy birthday. How the hell did you know it was my birthday? You've got to be working for the CIA. And he whips out this shotgun, and he chases him off, and he's like, you know, I ain't going back or something like that. Um, and then Steve-O explains, no, before this, uh, Steve-O, after, he gets ch- after they get chased off, uh, Steve-O says that he feels that he knows Bob a lot better now. And I've always thought that that, that, that made a lot of sense. That, that's, that, that quote's always stood out. Even watching it this time, it stood out to me. Uh, Bob says he's sorry to Steve-O, but Steve-O says, don't be. Uh, so then he explains that this party that they're going to, where he's being set up with this girl, Brandy, it's the last party of his youth, he says. And then boldly predicts that he's going to marry Brandy yeah. Uh, before talking about change and how his current self would beat the shit out of his former self. And then we get Brandy's party. Um, no, it's vice versa. His former self would beat the shit out of his current self thank if you. he ever okay. saw the state that he was right, in. Right, right, right. So then we cut to the, we cut to the party. Brandy's introduced. Brandy's played by Summer Phoenix. Um, hey, Andrew, what's your favorite Summer Phoenix movie? Who? <laughs> is she related to Joaquin Phoenix? Yes. Hell yeah, she, there we go. She is, uh, in fact, married or was married to Casey Affleck. Oh, okay. She's an actress or was. Um, no, I'm not familiar. I know she's Joaquin in the, and River, she, obviously. Obviously but. this. She was in The Faculty. Uh, she played the fuck oh, you. Okay. She played the fuck you girl. She wasn't like a main person at all. Um, but I remember her in that movie. It was her and... Um, John, I can't remember his name. John something that she's saying "fuck you" to is she's included in a few scenes in the in the movie. Uh, she's in "Can't Hardly Wait," but her scenes got cut, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, so she's here. She's Brandy, real cute. Uh, Stevo kind of go comes off as love at first sight. In fact, I think he even says. That he loves her after they kiss. Um, the one thing that's always stood out to me with this scene, Blondie's dreaming kicks it off. I fucking love this song. I love Blondie. I love the incorporation of the song into this movie and this scene alone in particular. Um, it's it's a nice setup piece. Um, always dug it. Brandy asked Devo. They sit down. They're having a little one-on-one time now. She asked him why he likes going around dressed like a bum before explaining to him that the, what the true meaning of rebellion is and that his fashion statement, his fashion, yeah, his fashion statement is like a uniform. Like that, That's not rebellion, she says. That's just fashion. 
she's really putting him in his place, but eventually admits that she actually likes him mildly uh, before they share their first kiss. And then suddenly we cut to Bob. Bob's got a really bad headache, so he goes and takes some pills from a girl that John the Mod's with. She says that they're ass. No, she said the she says that they're vitamins. Um, and then he takes them and goes off, and they start laughing. And John the Mod's kind of confused as to what's going on. Um, the irony here is just strong. Heroin Bob doesn't take drugs, doesn't do drugs dies from a Percocet overdose. So, I'm getting ahead of myself, though. He goes into the bathroom, and he breaks the mirror, saying that he doesn't like it. He apologizes when everyone comes to his attention, or comes to his aid, and he's uh, taken home by Steve-O. On the way home, he explains to Steve-O that he's not like his dad, and he's not going to cry. He asks if he let him down, and Steve-O says that if he let, if anything, he let himself down. Bob then says that he wants to marry Trish as they pull up to their home, Steve-O carries him upstairs and throws him into bed, says goodnight, asshole, and they, they go goes upstairs. Next morning, Steve-O comes down, and in what is the most gut-wrenching scene. Hey, Bobby, get up. Let's get up. It's like 3 o'clock. Get some eat. Official cause of death? Overdose from Percodin. That's what John's girlfriend gave him for his headache. That mixed with the booze did him in. Heroin Bob, the guy who never did any drug in his life outside of beer, died from a narcotic overdose. And that was it. Yeah, one, Saint one definitely of. affected me pretty heavily when I was young. He comes down to discover that Bob is no longer alive, that he had passed away overnight. And uh, it turns out that it was from a uh, Percodin which I had you look up. And I was going to say, I had never even heard of that. I was like, what? 
Yeah, Steve says that he died of a Percodan overdose. Apparently, it was like a 1985 version of like oxycodone, kind of like quaaludes were a yeah, thing. Like I think it yeah. was that. Like, yeah. Okay, so point being is he took a whole handful of pills because you even see it in the scene. Yeah, like, he takes like seven or yeah, eight of them, and, he's and got, then just he's got it no tolerance. Yeah, he's got no tolerance. Just down, downs them things. So I want to talk about the scene here alone in particular. It's, it's alone. That's what Steve O is now. He it's Matthew Lillard. The gist of the scene was it took a while to film. Marandino pretty much gave Steve-O the camera, sent the crew to lunch or something, and just had him sit there. And I think what Lillard says was he took him a few minutes, but he thought of his dad who had passed, and that's what developed the emotion and the tears. And uh, he pulled the scene off, man. He says some heavy things, like, you're my only friend. What gets me every time watching this is when I wasn't he, ready for this. That, but what really crushes me, even just watching it earlier um, today, um, is when he says, please wake up. Like, that's just, oh, fuck. It is so fucking sad. Uh, then we get, and then we, uh, we're at Bob's funeral. And that's where it's revealed that he, you know, he, the cause of death was the overdose on Percodan, Percodan aka Percocet. Uh, which leads to a Steve-O and Heroin Bob flashback to their youth when they were in Steve-O's basement uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons and listening to Rush. Bob comes down, wants to, kick, wants to mix things up, and he's got himself a Generation X record. And he, like, low-key, like, burns Rush for no reason. Like, bro... Rush is not a bad band, even if you're in nah, the punk. not at all. I even if love you're Rush. in the punk, even if you're in the punk music, like that's right up your alley. <laughs> like, Neil Peart, best drummer of all time. Rest right. in peace. Yeah, uh, yeah. So he puts on "Kiss Me Deadly" by Generation X, a personal favorite of mine. By the way, Billy Idol. Billy Idol. Yes, of that, of that band. Yes, this is Billy Idol singing this song. Uh, my note here is that the kid actor who plays Steve-O is so terrible, but his scenes are still memorable. But the scene's still memorable to me anyway. At least the Bob, the, uh, the kid actor playing Bob is at least trying a little bit. But I've always felt that this kid playing Steve-O is like, irritates the shit out of me. But whatever. They listen to Kiss Me Deadly. That's sort of like their introduction to punk rock together. That little moment that they have. And Got it from a guy out in California. He's like, you got, you know, a guy in California. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so we get back to Bob. I'm sorry. Cut back to Steve-O outside the church where the funeral was, and he's sitting on the bench. Uh, Trish goes away, say goodbye to her. Exit stage left, and in the end, when it was all said and done, he was a puss. He, no, I'm sorry, what is? He? In the end, when it was all said and done, I guess you could say. He was one giant poser. That is 1999's SLC Punk. All right. Let's go to the inbox. Oh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? All right. Every week before the episode, I let everyone know on our Twitter account that we're recording the episode. We let them know when and where. I'm sorry. We let them know when exactly so they know how long they have to uh, leave their tweets their questions or comments uh so for this episode i think i only saw one pop up Uh, yep 
One comment for this, and it was from Josh, your next favorite movie. Josh says, I remember seeing this in the video store, but I never did pull the trigger on it. Well, Josh, I know you're listening. Pull the trigger, man. This, I was going to say, if movie, you've never seen it, it's definitely... Uh, if you're in the punk, if you're like a fan of punk rock, or if you're curious, curious of the yeah. punk lifestyle, especially circa 1985 when this stuff was really coming alive in the scene... Um, I think Matthew Lillard's portrayal of Steve-O is an all-timer. Um, and that's not just me being a biased, uh, outsider or, or, or commentator of this, of, of such a, a, a film. I genuinely feel that this is one of Lillard's best roles. Um, I think it holds up after all these years. I've been watching this film for 20 years now. And my most recent being this afternoon. And yeah, I definitely say roll with it. This movie definitely does not disappoint. I was expecting it to be a little eye-rolling like, or a little cringeworthy. None of those. This movie felt fitting like yeah, a glove. Yeah, this movie still rocks very hard. So See ya, Josh. It's... Pull the trigger, man. Who knows? It might just be your next favorite movie. <laughs> All right. Box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. So SLC Punk premiered at the Sundance Film Festival on January 22nd, 1999, before premiering in all... No, before premiering in April... April 16th to be exact, 1999, from Sony Picture Classics. It ended up making $36,218 opening weekend. That was only on 19 screens. Second weekend, it went up 87%, grossing $67,712. Gross, uh, and that's on 137 screens. Very limited, very quiet. I actually remember hearing about this movie for the first time on Cisco and Ebert. More on that later. Uh, total gross, though, was $299,596. No. Overall gross was about $299,000. So, and I couldn't get a budget number, but I can't imagine this movie being like maybe three, three million tops. And that's They probably being, have about as much of a budget number as the landlord charges them to live in that apartment <laughs> right right good one <laughs> that's good so uh yeah I, I can't imagine it being too steep alright so Critics Corner the critics had to say and that brings me to oh god I've never actually looked into this before I can't imagine it being the greatest just because critics are harsh on everything but I don't know I'm interested what uh, did they give blow it was like 50 I mean come on now yeah <laughs> it was uh, this has 63% on Rotten Tomatoes oh, okay. and that's from 32 professional reviews audience score 89% so it's it's the critics' consensus says merging anarchic spirit with straightforward melodrama. SLC Punk is a hit or miss odyssey of youthful rebellion and 
elevated by Matthew Lillard's dramatically potent star turn. So, you know, I want to get to the, uh, the Ebes review because I know he gave it a positive one. Where are you at, Ebes? Yes. Roger Ebert gave SLC Punk three out of four stars. That's pretty good. Says Matthew Lillard's performance dominates the film and he does a subtle, tricky job of being both an obnoxious punk and a kid in search of his direction in life. He's very good. And the other ones yeah, you're are not going to get like so-and-so. slamming perfect scores no, around the table. I really, but it doesn't need to. Yeah, be I know. That, I like, primarily wanted to get that Eve's review out there. Yeah, though, yeah, yeah, let you know sure. what that said because that was a uh, pretty cool actually. Actually, I can. I, I'll do you one better. One of my favorite reviewers, Janet Maslin from the New York Times, called the film likable for its outlandishness, less so when it shows a self-important streak. Then as Harvey of Variety called it energetic but poorly constructed. I'm sorry. Energetic but poorly structured, writing that the film doesn't quite grasp how its slick, flashy package undermines any actual punk cred. And then Nathan Rabin, final review I'm going to post here of the AV Club, wrote that SLC Punk takes a potentially fascinating subject and reduces it to a mawkish compendium of festival film festival cliches. So... Fuck y'all, Ebes gave it a glowing review, and I'm happy with that. You're gonna go far, kid. You ain't gonna believe this. Well, you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's gonna be the best kid in the world. This kid's gonna be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching every day. It was like a privilege. So you're going to go for a kid, Andrew, is first-timers or people who are very early in their career. Kind of talk about them for a sec. I got two. Adam Pascal, who played Eddie. Um, a lot of theater uh, titles. I believe he was also in Rent, that remake. Um, but yeah, he went on from this and did a lot of theater uh, acting. And he's kind of a big name in that uh, area. But the big one here is Jason Siegel. My man had himself a 1998. And I, I sandwiched, I, I kind of shoeboxed this in the 1998 category because depending on who you're talking to, uh, evidently this film was released in Germany in September of 98. But Sundance, I thought that was the premiere. But to me, I've always considered this a 99 movie. So we're rolling with it. But for this sake, we're going to say 98 because... Siegel in 1998 alone did this. He did Can't Hardly Wait and he did Dead Man on Campus. All, in my opinion, funny movies. Some about Dead Man on Campus. Others funnier than some, but you know. Yeah. Uh, And then, you know, Siegel, of course, went on to be on Freaks and Geeks, Undeclared. Obviously, his biggest role to date, How to Lose Your Mom, How to Lose Your Mom, How I Met Your Mother, um, being on that show for nine seasons. Although I really haven't seen the guy do that much acting recently, because um, he used to be in like everything. There'd be years where I'd see like three, four, five different Jason Siegel movies that year alone. Now he might put out one every year or two, you know. Unless I'm just not seeing him on my radar and he's doing a lot more work than I'm making him out to be doing. But other than that, I really have not seen Jason Siegel put out that much. He's done a couple things for Netflix, I believe. Other than that, 
I haven't seen him in like he did this low end film last year or earlier this year called My Friend or Best Friends or something with um um our friend, our friend with Casey Affleck and uh, Dakota Johnson. But uh, yeah, and that was really it. Yeah, Jesus. Anyway, I'm. Where are you at on Jason Siegel? Uh, I've honestly not seen like a whole lot of his films. There was like a very long span of my life where I just kind of blacked comedy out altogether, and it has happened to also be. The time when he was like on top of the planet, <laughs> knocked up, and uh, uh, I've seen knocked up. I I enjoyed knocked up. Forgetting Sarah, forgetting Marshall, Sarah Marshall is very very entertaining. But I've never seen How I Met Your Mother. Um, I'm a fan of that show. I really am. Yeah, the episodes I've seen I, I enjoy, but I've, I've never sat down and like watched it like kinetically or anything like that. I'm an unapologetic fan of Bad Teacher personally, with Cameron Diaz. Oh yeah. Um, sorry, Ann. Best film ever. I know you uh, just love Cameron Diaz, but I like this movie. I, I'm not going to lie. And I also like the same year he did a film called Jeff Who Lives at Home. With um, It was a film by uh, who were they? the brothers, the brothers, the brothers, the, the Duplass brothers, Mark and Jeff. Oh, yeah. Or Jay. I'm sorry, not Jeff. And The Five-Year Engagement. That's a funny movie. The Muppets, I remember I remember liking The Muppets. I saw that in the theaters of Madeline because she was like four when that came out. Remember that film, The Muppets, like 10 years ago that he did? He did a, film. I, that, he did a Muppets film. I was going to so. say, I, I haven't seen a Muppets film in God knows how long. But yeah, Jim I mean, Henson would be fucking disappointed in me. Yeah, I mean, you guys, you get the gist. That's, that's you know, Jason Siegel, big fan. So, all right, let's meet the rest of the cast. Hey, you guys. Everybody focus up, okay? All eyes here. I would like to announce that Ben and I are planning to produce a musical number from Godspell for the talent show tonight. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Ben is producing. I'm directing slash choreographing. I'm only speaking from personal experience, but if you can't carry a tune, don't come into the audition environment and waste our time. For serious, okay? Okay, and bring a lot of movement clothes, aka jazz shoes, dance belts, lycras, et al. And seriously, FYI, you guys, this is not an excuse to get out of your regular activities. This is an excuse to do some good musical theater. So be prepared, be enthusiastic, and leave your bullshit attitude and baggage at the door, because we don't need it. Matthew Lillard. I don't even want to start with that dude. Scream. Scream. <laughs> I mean, for me, Serial Mom. I mean, he's, I mean, he's Fucking for... love Serial yeah. Mom. I'm still doing my plans for that, which includes the, the filming locations video, since the whole film is right around the corner from here. Uh, but yeah, Serial Mom. He's loved Shaggy, that movie. for God's sake. He, he like is he Shaggy. filmed that Shaggy role just as good as Casey Keenum did. Like it's crazy as shit. Yes, or and Casey then, Kasem, I think his name was. Kasem, I'm sorry. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, and then yeah, Hackers. He was in that with uh, those circular glasses throughout. Uh, he was in this movie called The Curve. Speaking of Dead Man on Campus. You know how you have like a Dante's Peak volcano situation, White House down, Olympus has fallen, you know, two same films in the same year, similar sure. Deep Impact, Armageddon's another one. Well, for some reason in 1998, Deep Impact and, and uh, Armageddon wasn't the only two films competing over the same premise. Dead Made on Campus and a little direct-to-video flick called The Curve with Matthew Lillard and Carrie Russell 
were competing over which film had the better kill your roommate you get straight A's in, in college film. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that being like a big like direct the video blockbuster video exclusive or something like that. Um, that yeah, it. I remember I vaguely remember seeing with Carrie Russell giving him a blowjob with her boyfriend watching in the closet and there's like Matthew Lillard gives this like really huge like glowing look and it's <laughs> or kind of a haunting look I don't know I haven't seen it in eons but anyway that that's that um uh, Michael Georgian as Heroin Bob the only other movie I remember him from is uh Hard Rain he played one of Morgan Freeman's one of Morgan Freeman's henchmen in that um, I take it you haven't seen anything else outside of this with, with him in it. Absolutely not. <laughs> All right. Uh, Annabeth Gish, who was in, I believe, Mystic Pizza with Rob, Julia Roberts uh, about 10 years before this. Uh, Jennifer Leon as Sandy, who quietly retired from acting a couple years after this release because uh, she gave birth, had twins, wanted to settle down. Can't, can't be mad about that. Wasn't there for the sequel? Nah, but she was also, um, she was in American History X. She played Ed Norton's sister. So, hmm. I know you're a fan of that movie. I am. I do, I do really enjoy American History X, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> um, for all of the right reasons, rather the wrong reasons, I say that because I love SLC Punk because of the actual environment in it. Right, I don't right. love American aspects of the environment. I, exactly. It's just a really good film. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, we're not closet Nazis in this house. You know. um, Talked about McDonald, Judy McGavin, Devin Sawa, who's going to be in the upcoming Chucky series on Sci-Fi, which okay. I'm looking forward to. Devin Sawa's just a cool dude. Yeah. Um, always at Comic-Cons and conventions and always just trying to meet fans. Did you see his movie with Fred Durst and John Travolta? No. The, the Fanatic? No, no. Oh, it's a classic, man. You gotta check out the fanatic. We it's have to talk about our definition of a classic. <laughs> I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just kidding. Till Schwieger as Mark. Outside of this, Inglorious Bastards. He was in that. One of my he had one of my favorite lines. Uh, say say uh, say goodbye to your sh- or schnoz or something like that during that that bar scene. Oh, okay. I gotta go back and see that. Um, I, I haven't watched it in a couple of years. I forgot what he said word for word, but that's like that that whole half hour sequence set inside that bar is the film's highlight, in my opinion. Um, huge fan of that scene and that movie and overall in general. Um, and yeah, talked about James Duvall, talked about Summer Phoenix. So let's move on to. Well, my friend, this is crew, but don't even think about it. You don't look like you could hang, Jermaine. The name's Jamal, and I'll fuck your crew up. Who are they? Who are they? James Marandino, written and directed by James Marandino. Well, who the hell is James Marandino? Um, kind of nobody. Um, he was like an independent filmmaker who, let's just say, SLC Punk is kind of a unofficial biography of the man's upbringing, um, according to him. Raised in SLC, um, graduated in 85, just like Steve and Bob. Connecting the dots, are we? In the punk rock music, still connecting those dots. <laughs> I mean, come on now. 
Um, and that's really it. Um, outside of this, it's, uh, he hasn't really done anything. Like He's done minor work, short films, um, a lot of ind- independent cinema stuff. But his his call his his main name to fame is SLC Punk, um, not so much Punk's Dead SLC Punk Two, which he also wrote and directed. Uh, but yeah, uh, produced by Sam Mado and Peter Ward, edited by Esther P. Russell, and cinematography by Greg Littlewood. Biggest takeaways, Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. For me, this film holds up. The soundtrack seriously slaps. And my final note is that it's so amateur, but I love it regardless. Marandino's inexperience definitely shows watching this after five, six years. What did you take from this film? My biggest takeaway from this film is while I am definitely not part of like the punk rock culture at all anymore, but uh, it still it still holds up. And I could still, if I were to go back and do it all again, I, I certainly would because... Just the, it seems like the culture has such a genuinely fun time doing what they're doing, regardless of how chaotic or unorganized that it is. And um, like I still appreciate it. I still highly implore anybody that is intrigued by the culture to take a look at it because it's it's very well done. So and um, man, Steve-O is a damn poser, and it's like I never realized it growing up how much of a poser he was, but. Oh, uh, let's get to the conversation. Let's, let's have from this conversation jump, now. And then you realize as it goes on why he is that way. Let's have this conversation now then. Because I, I who am I kidding? I mean, if we're gonna have this fucking, you know, conversation, um y- yeah. I mean in the end he says it he says it outright. He's got no shame in his game. And He's like, look, the way I'm, the way I interpret the end, the end scene of this film is, look, the last hour and a half, everything you've been watching and seeing, like that, that's gone, that died with Bob, you know, and now this is me coming out saying, he's in a suit, he shaved his head, it's like a new, it's like a rebirth, you know, he probably dropped the O and just goes by Steve. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm serious. Like even on the way out, he's just like, "Yeah, it would be. I would be able to cause so much disruption in the government if I had just become part of it." Like you're not, you're not becoming a it's, lawyer so you can be disruptive, bro. Like it's <laughs> as if it's as if he was letting go or saying farewell to his former life. It's like right, I'll do you one better. Look at Heroin Bob's funeral as a funeral as well for Steve's Steve-O's uh, a punk lifestyle character. character. Yeah. And this new Steve-O that we're, you know, introduced to before the credits roll is the real him, you know? The, the gloves are off. There's no more hiding behind, you know, a, a blue hair dye and, and, and patched up clothing. It's, it's look, guys, here I am. That, the last hour and a half, because he was talking to us like it was a biography, you know, he's, he's basically, it was more of um, like an obituary 
to his former self is what we were just watching for the last hour and a half in this film. Yeah. This movie, the best way to describe this, to, to, to put a bow on it, is SLC Punk is an obituary for Matthew Lillard's Steve-O character. That's how I look at the film now. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, he's such a damn poser throughout the film, but it's more about you as an audience member learning what exactly a poser is and why he falls specifically into that category while him as the character is trying to convince you that what he is doing is for the right but it's not and i even notice when they when his father points out he's just like i mean you went to college like you graduated college and he was like yeah but i cheated and he was like but you still took the effort to do it right like, <laughs> right exactly and that's a good point like so. even cheating takes effort bro you put effort into it so <laughs> you could see all along it's just the film is really about him realizing how much of a poser he is and even though bob is the catalyst to it it's still something that happens straight from gun and then follows through right i couldn't have said it any better well put brother all right so i'm going to insert our new category for the show here and we're going to be doing the top five for every episode i'm going to be calling this what am i calling this he doesn't know what he's calling it (laughs) The segment we now are going to be calling Live Top 5. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top 5 side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a... Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though and not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection, the song is Radiation oh. Ruling the Nation. So, the theme for this movie is obviously punk rock. It's a punk rock film. So, my question for this week, Andrew, that I brought to you before coming here was... What are your top five punk or punk-influenced films? And since you're the guest of honor, I'm going to let you go first, breaking it down from five to one. You don't have to talk about each movie, just I want to know what your top ten, your top five is. Five to one. All right. Uh, or, we can do, or we can go back and forth. You do, what's your five? I'll go with my five. You do your four, I do my four. However you want to do it. All right. Uh, my, my number five, and it's not really a punk movie, but it involves a whole lot of punks, is Toxic Avenger. And I say that just because... It's a punk movie. It's, it's such a fun movie. And, like, again, it's not about punk music, but you get the punk culture just by watching right. everyone's mannerisms <clears throat> in the film, yes. My number five is Green Room from 2016, starring the late Anton Yelchin. Uh, he's in a punk band, and they're at this club in the middle of nowhere which we later find out is ran by neo-Nazis, and they all of a sudden start playing the song Nazi Punks Must... Nazi Punks Fuck Off. And ruffle some feathers, one thing leads to another, and it's this band's fight for survival. It turns into a slasher film sort of out of nowhere. So it's a pretty uh, badass movie. It's got some really, really gnarly, sadistic effects, which, uh, I don't know, it's unnerving, but... uh, Kind of like that stuff because I'm a fucked up person sometimes. What's number four? Number four, um, it's 
been a while since I've seen it, but you know what? I'm going to throw it out there. Suburbia. I do I do enjoy myself some Suburbia. Um, to put it into context, one household tensions and a sense of worthlessness overcome teenage Evan. He finds a way to escape with orphans of a throwaway society and a group of punk rockers. <clears throat> and um, Flea is in it. So, can't go wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, my number four is a punk documentary that came out in 2014 called Salad Days. I actually attended the Baltimore premiere, premiere of that movie of Justin. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I've watched it a couple times since that, that, that viewing. Um, basically, it's like, you know, the, the DC punk rock. Your bad brains, your void, your fugazi, you know, talking about people that are from the area that were, had a, a foot in the, the upbringing of this style. Dave Grohl, Ian McKay, uh, Henry Rollins, uh, Fred Armisen's in the damn doc- documentary. I thought yeah. that was cool. So, um, it's really good stuff. If you're a fan of, you know, the, the whole DC punk rock salad days themselves, um, couldn't agree. I, I, I couldn't recommend this documentary more. Uh, what's your number three? My number three, and it was kind of a toss-up, and I'm going to have to leave Repo Man off the list, unfortunately, for it, but Return of the Living Dead. All right. Love me some Return of the Living Dead. Love horror films. And again, just in that in that essence of the culture, in a way, it's definitely there in life. <laughs> nice. Uh, my number three is Sid and Nancy. Do I really have to go into it? It's, you got um, Gary Oldman and one of the young Gary Oldman and one of standout performances from him. If anything, watch the film and appreciate it for his acting talent alone. Everything else is kind of a bonus. That's how I look at Sid and Nancy. What is your number two? Number two is another low-key film. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. It's called The Anarchist Cookbook. And again, it really nails, like... If SLC punk is to punk rock, then anarchist cookbook is to an anarchist lifestyle, which is not something that I ever lived personally, nor did I ever really want to. But it's it's something to be seen for sure. If you ever intrigued by the lifestyle of what an anarchist is, especially how they go back and forth with each other all the time upon what anarchy is, because it's all (laughs) fucking redundant. (laughs) Right. My number two is this movie, SLC punk. And if you want to know why, we just got done, or we're still in the middle of telling you why. So, SLC. Yeah, man. What's your number one? My number one, I'm going to come swinging through with it. It's train spotting, damn it. And I totally was thinking about it while I was coming up with this list, but damn it. Train spotting is so good. Released in 1996, it's a, it's a film more about like heroin, but all of the people in the film. Or all anarchists. Oh, it's a punk punks. rock film, no doubt, yes. man. Danny Boyle is one of his first films. So, definitely see Train Spotting if you've never seen it. It's a tough pill to swallow. And my number one is a film that we just covered last week, 1985's Return of the Living Dead, damn it. There you go. Love that movie. Who Everyone. Got, you can't go wrong with it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Way love up it. there on the top of horror lists for me. Speaking of love. Finger licking good. Finger licking good. What's your favorite scene from this movie? My favorite scene 
from the film is the entire scene. What's your finger looking good? Is the entire scene with Mark when they're at his house and then they go driving around after stealing the car. <laughs> and it's because the scene is so unapologetically funny. Yeah, it's my runner up. While for sure. it's supposed to be like serious to some form of extent, it's just hysterical. Like, God, it's so funny. It's like. Am I supposed to be laughing at this? Because it's definitely funny shit. I just don't know if I'm supposed to be laughing yeah, at it. Yeah, it's not... But if I'm supposed to be, then yeah, I'm laughing. <laughs> For me, this was hard. This was really hard. I had to think about it. And if I'm going to just give a valid answer or response for it, I'm going to just say, the party. And maybe I'm cheating. But I don't give a shit. My rules. Everything from the start of the party to when the party ends with the rednecks crashing it. That entails all the stuff that we get with time jumping back and forth that takes place with said party. All of that bunched into one. It's probably a good chunk, maybe 20 minutes of the film. All in all, it's a good time. You, you're you're um, informed of some heavy information as, uh, as it pertains to the film. Um, and, it, and it wraps up with a big, stupid, goofy redneck fight. So it, it's a big, fun brawl. Set to, like we said, Van Halen, and, um, yeah. Alright, so mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? You could or would have to change one thing about this film, what would it be? If I had to change something about the film... I found it unnecessary, especially for it to be at the end of the film. But why is why is why is Bob's dad part of this film? I well, feel like, like I said they kind I of they, like you they could start, have just explained that he was a drunk and left it at that. But they yeah they started to like I said back when they went to pick him up they started to bring him up into the a dialogue discussion and I think it, it just kind of I think maybe Marandino remember amateur filmmaker remember that in the back of your head. Yeah. He probably felt the need to revisit that. Because something tells me that he shot this in sequent order. I don't know if that's true or not. But if he shot this in, in, in order, um, then, yeah, I can see how an amateur filmmaker like him would could be like, oh, I got to go back to that. Remember how he brought up his father in the, in the scene where they came out of quarantine? Well, we should definitely, you know, piggyback on that. No, you don't have to. You don't have to actually show it. You gave us exposition dialogue explaining that he's drunk. We get the gist. We didn't need this. So you're right. We did not need that scene. And it's out of nowhere. It's so not rememberable. I don't remember that movie being... I don't remember that scene being in this movie. Yeah, I feel like that scene was supposed to be more comedy than drama. I forgot about all about the scene. But if anything, it should have been a dramatic scene, but it wasn't. It was just like a knee slapper, so there was no reason. See, I think it was, but you looked at it as a comedy, but because of obvious reasons, it's like, I don't know, it's just a weird scene to be including so late in the movie. It's inserted into a... It's 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 sandwiched in between two scenes where it'll just I don't know it 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 makes no sense it's weird it's amateur it's amateurish or it's amateurish but whatever uh, for me uh, look man I'm a fan of Matthew Lillard like I said it's one of my favorite roles of his I love the character Steve-O. Um love what he does for the movie what he brings to the to the table and everything but 
Can we tone down with the fourth wall breaking? <laughs> Shit happens way too much in this movie, I think. I think that you can trim it down three or four times, though. Because he definitely just stops and looks at the camera and he's talking to us, essentially. And, like, it's, it happens more times than I'm comfortable with for a movie. Let's just put it that way. So, yeah, that's that's my man. It makes it feel moment. like it's a documentary about his life. Sort of. And it's not sort of. really supposed to be that and way. And like I said, you know, it's kind of like... Or at least I didn't think or, I don't know. that it was meant to be interpreted that way. Right. No. So a little overkill on the fourth wall breaking, yeah. Which I thought it was really cool when I was young, but the more that I appreciate films now, it's just like, yeah, we, we probably could have chilled out with that. Right, right. All right, which leads us to our final thoughts. So, um, okay, put a bow on to, to wrap it all up. Bring it home for this movie. Holds up. Great acting by Lillard. Um, it's not the best. It's definitely um, it shows its age in some of the scenes. Um. But like we explained earlier, if you're a first-time watcher, I encourage people to watch it still. It's not like we're saying, no, 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 not the SLC Punk. It's for kids. It's, it's you know a film that you thought was cool when you were in high school. And, and granted, it was. But looking at it with a fresh set of eyes, a more mature mentality, um, me being the person I am today and how I look at movies in particular, I, it, it holds up. And I really still would recommend this and with a straight face. So, uh, yeah, it does nothing wrong. The, the movie, has a, it, it's unique. And that's all I'm going to leave it at. I, I, I give this movie on my five-star rating system. I comfortably give this three and a half stars without flinching. Three and a half, and that's good. So, three and a half. Leaning more towards four than three. So that's my final thoughts of this movie. Um, usually I let the, the guests or Sean go first, but I just kind of wanted to jump into sure. it. So go. Uh, my biggest takeaway from this film is the acting's really good. Like the acting is really, really good in the film when they, when they have to act out like major scenes in a way. And not like you're going to get a goddamn Academy Award shoved up your ass for it, but you're definitely like... All of them nail their roles for what it is supposed to be. They're supposed to be careless punk rockers living an anarchist lifestyle. And they nail that. Like, I was around people like that growing up. And let me tell you, they definitely oh, yeah. nail it in oh, yeah. just about every fashion of the word. So. All right. Well, all that being said, this film is sponsored by Chemicals, man. They'll fuck you up. Chemicals, man. Alright, this film definitely gets the film effect seal of approval, and that'll bring things home for this edition of the show. One down, many more to follow. Woo! We will be back next week, folks, talking well, this coming Monday. We'll be back with new episodes on Monday. Ah! Day of the 30th anniversary, 1991. Action classic, Point Break. That's what Sean and I are talking about coming up this Monday. Like I said, day of the 30th anniversary. This is actually one that I admittedly have not seen in about 10 years. 
It's been a long time since I have watched Point Break, but I'm excited. Didn't they remake that film? Unfortunately. Oh, God. <laughs> I am, I am, I am excited to watch this and um, talk about it with you guys. So, yeah, that'll be on Monday, guys. Same film effect place, same film effect time. But before we get out of here, I'm just going to let you guys know that our ever-growing collection of previous episodes can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Pocket Cast, and wherever else you enjoy your favorite shows. Check out our website at podpage.com slash the-film-effect-podcast, and that is where you can access backlog of episodes of the show on top of that we have direct links to our merch store let me remind you guys that we have a merch store check it out we have t-shirts we have mugs we have pillows we have stickers magnets we have a lot of cool shit with lots of various designs too so um Check that out. That's uh, all right there. It's, it's it's from T Public, but you can access the link directly from Podpage. Yeah. Uh, one other thing before we get out of here, uh, if you, if you can kindly take the time, and if you're listening to an applicable podcast platform, please five star ratings and reviews. We preach about it. We don't really push it as much as we used to in the beginning, but I kind of wanted to just kindly throw that back out there in the mix because it's been a while and um the the wells kind of getting dry with the the, the reviews and uh ratings so i'm only mentioning it because look there's a little thing called an algorithm and that's how the show grows it's how we get put out there and recommended more we just want more ears to hear us that's all you know and if you were a podcast i mean would you blame us no nah, didn't think so so yeah, um, that's it, guys. If you can just leave a rating or review, that'd be awesome. Or just a rating. Or just a review. Either or is fine with us. Uh, so yeah, point break on Monday. Um, we got a lot coming up, guys. We definitely have a lot. We're, if it feels like we're slowing down, we're not slowing down. We've only got so much more to come. Um, check out Twitter. Because we're doing currently a weekly poll. or I'm sorry. We're currently running a monthly poll. That we're going to start doing the first week of every month. Where the winner gets an episode the following month. Right now the, the category on there currently is 2011 films. And it's Drive, Contagion, Crazy Stupid Love, and Your Next are the four choices. And honestly guys, out of currently 35 votes, it is a four-way dance it is a race, a very tight race. Um, anything can win. Anything goes. There's still a couple days left to vote. So that's all on our Twitter page, at Film Effect Pod. And to be honest with you, between you and me, audience, that's where we're the most active. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. But if you really want to catch us in the wild, Twitter is where it's at. Other than that, Andrew, thank you so much for doing this with me this week. Um, I I wanted to do this. This is a very special film for the two of us, and I knew that uh, we could do the movie justice together, you and I. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we straight up bonded over it, lived our lives over it, used it as gospel for quite a few years. Like we still do. It's it's definitely a film that means the entire world to me. So. And it only made sense that you and I did this one. Sean understood. That's why he sat this one out. But he will be back on Monday with Point Break. It's okay. I still love you, though, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
So yeah, this is the part where Sean gets us out of here, but Sean's not here, so I'm going to do my best and wing this. Alright, gang, so until the field lights go dim and the curtain something something. Just always remember the party as at the moon tower. Yes! Drink your milk, take the vitamins, say the prayers and all that jazz. Alright. Just make sure they're vitamins and not Percocet. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll be looking like heroin Bob the next day. All right, guys. Until Monday with Point Break. I'm Ed. That's been Andrew. See ya! See ya! <laughs>